Coming to you from high atop the Tech Move studios in the San Francisco Bay Area, you're listening to Tech Move. This is episode 14, and in today's show, we have part one of an inspiring talk about technology versus humanity. Keith shows us the replace footage technique. We'll do gear reviews of the Optica Steadicam and Sony's high end prosumer camcorder and the return of the famous Put Me in a Coma segment. Join me, Rod Louie, and my partner, Keith Moreau, on another episode of this thing we call Tech Move. Let's go! Welcome, everyone. It is episode 14 of Tech Move. And uh, again, I am Rod Louie, and with me is the one and only, the great Keith Moreau. Keith, how are you? I'm good, Rod. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. And, uh, you know, we've got a load of stuff coming in uh, today as far as the show goes, and uh, we want to get right to it. But before uh, we get to any of that stuff, we, of course, want to do a little bit of uh, housekeeping here. And we want to remind all of our terrific listeners of where they can find us. And, uh, of course, one of our favorite places to be found is on iTunes. And you can do that by uh, typing in your search bar under the iTunes store. Type in Tech Move, and uh, you will be able to pull us up there and subscribe. We'd love for you to subscribe and we'd also like you to write a review and uh, tell us what you think about Tech Move. Again, our policy, only good things. Right, Keith? So far, it's actually been fine. We haven't had to shut down the iTunes store to remove bad <laughs> reviews. It's been working for us. For, We've only been really good reviews so far. And we really appreciate that. It's always so encouraging to to hear good things from uh, from our listeners out there. So we, we greatly appreciate it. It's uh, very, very kind of you. Uh, Keith, we also can be found on our Facebook page. And uh, where where is that? Where's that at? It's <laughs> it's <laughs> facebook.com slash techmove. Techmove podcast, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so it's facebook.com slash techmove podcast. We uh, can also be found on Twitter. And our handle there is at techmove podcast. And uh, that's a pretty neat way to to find us. And uh, we can also be heard on a terrific app uh, that can be found uh, anywhere. And it's called Stitcher. And Stitcher is a uh, way that uh, brings all kinds of podcasts together. And we are there. And all you have to do is search Tech Move and you'll find us and you can stream us off of Stitcher. Right, Keith? Hello, wake up. That is correct. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, hey, but most of all, we want to ask all you great folks out there in uh, podcast land to help support Tech Move uh, in your endeavors. And uh, though we will always accept uh, monetary gifts uh, and also willed material from your estate. Uh, an easier way to really do it is uh, is is through Amazon. And uh, Keith, why don't you tell the good listening folks on how to do that? It's really easy. And actually, 
what I would like everybody to do is just to make a bookmark for this for this uh, URL I'm going to give you, which is techmovepodcast.com slash Amazon. And all you need to do is just put that in your one of your bookmarks, put it on your bookmarks bar if you're on, a, if you're on Safari or wherever. Make it easy to get to so that all you need to do is when you want to buy something on Amazon is to click it. And you actually, it's coming up to Thanksgiving now, so you have a lot of reasons to, to click on that and buy stuff from Amazon because they're going to have a, a huge Black Friday pre- during and post and Cyber Monday and all kinds of stuff associated to uh, to Black Friday and buying lots of gear through that that link. So that's techmovepodcast.com slash Amazon. That's right. And I actually have a bookmark uh, of that very link and it uh, makes it a lot easier to uh, for not only you to find Amazon, but also to help, help out our little cause uh, over here on TechMove. So a lot of ways you can reach us. And let us not forget, uh, certainly uh, last but not least, is our world-famous uh, website where you can find us at techmovepodcast.com. And there you will get all kinds of show notes, links. Uh, you'll see some little clips that Keith and I post up there. And uh, you can also leave little comments and ask us questions. And uh, that's a great way to find out a little bit more about Keith and myself. So. Uh, techmovepodcast.com is the website. That's the center of the TechMove universe. <laughs> <laughs> as vast as it is. Right. Exactly. Everyone lives through that uh, through that website. So, uh, anyway, uh, we are going to skip out real quick for a quick break, and we're going to come back with episode 14, and we are going to be rolling on, so you stay tuned to more Tech Move. You know, Keith and I have been having a uh, ongoing conversation off air, and we thought it'd be good that we, uh, if we talked about it, uh, you know, uh, on the podcast, so that you guys can either uh, participate, hear our thoughts, and write us hateful emails uh, afterwards <laughs> or something like that. But uh, you know, we couldn't come up with a with a better title of what we were talking about, except for this cool one, and we're going to call this technology versus humanity <laughs> because because we are going to try and save the world with our filmmaking aren't we yeah well, especially actually, me and my videotaping of like birthday parties and uh high school graduations that's i'm going to save the universe with the with my technology saving the universe one party at a time <laughs> that's right one hot dog and one party at a time <laughs> one one kid's birthday at a time you, you know so, so so keith what, what you know let's give our listeners a little bit of of background of you know how we got involved in talking about uh technology versus humanity well it, it's I, I listen to a lot of other uh filmmaking and and uh, mostly filmmaking podcasts there's not a lot of them out there but there's there's several and actually in a future show or maybe in the show later we'll 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 talk about the ones we like to listen to. Yeah, but um, what a lot of them do is they they do talk a little bit about technology, 
<clears throat> that's like usually the the news segment, especially if there's some some show technology driven show that's out um, that the the podcasters are attending. Um, but but a lot of them also, <clears throat> and I'm <clears throat> it's kind of a trend that I've been um, been hearing lately is that a lot of them just say, you know, the technology is is kind of temporal it's it's here now but there's always going to be something later so don't get don't get too involved and too hyped about the technology because it's always going to be changing and you're always going to want the newest thing and you really should be focusing on more important things when you're doing your filmmaking yeah uh like like the story and you know other other issues and um you know i think that that's okay in a way but i also think that <laughs> That's not what our podcast is about. And that's saying it lightly. We think that's a bunch of crap. How about that? <laughs> well, it, it has its place, but I also yeah, right in think... the garbage can. That's where it, <laughs> right, that's where it belongs. Right in the garbage. Right in the garbage can. It, it, it's not what this podcast is about. Um, although we will talk sometimes and talk about you know why we make certain decisions about you know the films we make, but but really we are technological creatures. You know, like it or not, I mean, that's pretty much what sets, I think that's what sets us apart from the rest of the creatures on the planet is we actually use technology and it's made, it's for good or bad, it's made us what we are. Well, and I also think for those of uh, our fine listeners who are listening to this podcast, they are, you know, uh, kind of uh, already geared towards technology or else they, you know, they probably wouldn't have been turned on by the name of tech move in the first place. Right, they'd be listening to our sister podcast, Humanity Move, which is not as popular for whatever reason. I'm not sure why. Right. Well, it's a little bit slower to produce because uh, you know we're doing it on duct tape, not not even not even videotape, but not duct tape. Video. You like not that? Even. Thank you very much. Just came up with that off the top of the dome. We're actually writing it in Sanskrit. <laughs> My stone tablets. Get me another stone tablet. Which, by the way, is still technology. It is technology. Uh, so I guess so. That's what we were thinking. Maybe maybe that would be an interesting discussion to talk about um, why we like to talk about gear and why gear and technology is actually important to filmmaking and to a lot of a lot of other endeavors. I mean, it's actually technology is inseparable from the world at this point. Yeah, we we are a technological culture. Um, and if you're not a technolo technological culture, then you're not really a part of the world right now. You're on the sidelines. You know, you I, I, I used to be one of those who used to try to maybe not be so dependent upon technology, mm -hmm. you know, even with my cell phone and stuff like that. But after, you know, after a while, you you just in some ways need to make your life a little easier. By using some of this technology, you know, right? It's it's kind of like there's a certain flow to the world. Yeah, this is it's like going. And if do you want to do you want to fight the flow, and, and and do things that are harder just for a principle, or do you want to go with the flow? Right. And I think that's probably what you're talking about. Kind of, you know, it's like uh, you know those fine folks who live off the grid. You know, I I appreciate right. that, and and, mm -hmm. and you know, and I think that's a you know a wonderful move. You know, I mean. I, I probably couldn't do it. Well, or shall I say, I wouldn't want to, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things. Yeah. 
I mean, you, how, you wouldn't be able to check your email every five minutes. Right. That would be so difficult. <laughs> That'd be tough. <laughs> Until I get on my donkey to get to the internet cafe to check my email. But but uh, mobile technology has especially uh, really brought this home. I mean, iPhones and yep. Android devices and all kinds of mobile phones that are basically little computers that allow you allow you to connect to the internet at at any moment. Yeah. Um, now this, I think it. You know, I'm I'm a little bit old fashioned, but I think it gets a little bit out of hand when you go to a party or you go to a restaurant and like half the people are not looking at each other, but they're actually typing on their phones. Th- that I find disturbing as well. <laughs> you're, you're, no, you're right about that. There, 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 there is this great loss of human interaction because of the technology that, you know, uh, people need to kind of, uh, you know, ki- kind of realize and kind of get back to, to basics at some, at some point. Maybe, you know, but that's the thing. It's just evolution of our culture yeah. in a way. I mean, I think that we're, maybe of a generation or a time where we're kind of spanning that. Right. But some people aren't, you know, some people are kind of just born into it and that's their, that's the way they relate to the world. <laughs> I got a little, is... I got a little funny story. <laughs> the, 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 one of those birthday parties we were at, right? Uh-huh. Me and my wife, we were, we were, we were doing this birthday party and, uh, and, uh, my wife was, Oh, I couldn't go. So I told her, Hey, use your iPhone and take a picture of the celebrant so that I can see what I missed. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife is uh, a little bit technically challenged when it comes to these types of things. So she's there. Where in the world is that photo feature? <laughs> well, our five-year-old niece says, "Oh, give that thing to me," <laughs> and she and she pulled it right up and started. To, and, and you're absolutely right. It's you know, it's you're born into it now. You yeah. know, the, the, these kids are ingrained with it. They know. They know immediately what the enter button does and what the menu button does. Right. It's just, yeah, it's just part of them. And, and, and that's how they relate to the world and their, their circle of friends uh, go to Facebook to find out what the latest thing is in their life and right. respond. And, and it's kind of like this way of broadcasting your status and, right. and, and then people do respond and they comment. And so there actually is quite a bit of an interaction, probably way more interaction than you might experience uh, if you didn't have something like Facebook, mm-hmm. because <clears throat> you would never see these people and you could maybe call them and, and, but you wouldn't have this efficient type of broadcasting and communication with all your circle of friends all at once. Right. <clears throat> there might be some loss of humanity in that, but there's definitely an increasing amount of information I think that you're expressing. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see what what happens. I well, mean, at some at some point, we're probably going to have like implants in our brains, and we won't even need a phone. Well, well, you know, <clears throat> let, let's let's swing it around to to you know digital filmmaking. Sure. And and you know, let's talk about how the technology has changed that stuff. You know, one of the things you shared with me, which was so great, I think Zakudo had this. Uh, what was at least they hosted this video where they took uh, you know at the time what, what was it ten different cameras all, oh yeah remember that thing that shootout that they mm-hmm. had or something right. like that they had, a, they had two they had a, one shootout one year and then one or two year, years later they had another shootout of all these high to low end camcorders right and and and, the, and at the time like uh, i think it was the 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 fs100 was out and stuff like that and mm-hmm. they they went up as far as that down to using an iphone right and i think they went even beyond that they went to like the alexa and some of the higher end 
some of the reds. I don't think they went to the epic at the, at the first one. I think the second one they maybe they did. And but I, yeah, and I and I thought that you, you know, and, and that's almost you know like. Uh, Sure, you know, you could use and, and you know, the these clips were fantastic. Every one of them looked really, really great, including the iPhone with the right lighting and the mm-hmm. right, you know, setting and all this kind of stuff and color correction at the end of the day all looked terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, the fact that you can do it is awesome. But right. would you really want to do it? <laughs> would Would you really want to? Yeah. You know, yeah, would you want to trust this huge production with all these people involved yeah. and all this other money and, and right. experts and time and right. rent, rental fees? Do you want to trust that to your little iPhone? <laughs> you know, I mean, I could write, no. I could walk a tightrope, but I wouldn't want to. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. no, it was it was just. I think it was more of a exclamation about you know, how, how much technology has, how far it has gotten. Absolutely. Gotten, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. But, uh, uh, you know, I like, like I used to be one of those people at these parties that would actually take a camcorder to a party, you know, not necessarily, I, I try to choose a small one, you know, but even back in the, you know, high eight days, which is maybe 20 years ago, mm-hmm. I would take, uh, like a high eight camcorder, which was pretty high. You know, it was like the best thing you can get in a small package at that time. Still have mine. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I, I got do. rid of mine a little while back, but I, I needed it for the tapes. But anyway, yeah, yeah, to play back the tapes. Yep. I'll borrow yours when I need to transfer okay. mine. All right, but <laughs> um, and and so, but nowadays, like I just went to this party yesterday, and I didn't even. I thought, should I bring my smaller than Coke can size actual SDHC uh, AVC HD camcorder, or should I just take my phone, my iPhone five, <laughs> which is I take with me everywhere, right? And I didn't want to, I, I just figured the iPhone 5 has good enough resolution where I can capture that event as much as I need to. I don't need to take uh, anything more high-end than that. It's adequate enough in that situation. Right. So, but but uh, four or five years ago, there wasn't anything really that would have captured anything as good as the iPhone 5, video quality-wise. Right. So I would have had to have brought my camcorder. So there was, there's kind of a line there, you know, for some people, maybe their, their phone camera would have been okay five years ago, but it wouldn't have been okay for me, but now it's okay for me. Right. So that, that's kind of how technology makes certain things possible right. over, over time. Exactly. And I'm sure in five years from now, uh, you may not even need a camcorder ever. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, you might need it if you're in a professional production and you need really good sound input and zooming and lenses and things like that. But you wouldn't even think about bringing a, one of those pocket sized camcorders with you if you had your phone with you, because the phones are probably going to be almost as good. Yeah. You know? So, um, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I agree with that. I mean, like it's certainly, you know, like for you in, in this instance, it depends on what you're trying to capture. Right. I mean, like, you know, if you're going to a party and it's just with friends or whatever it is, you just want something to have a memory of. Right. Yeah. So, so the iPhone more than adequate for something more than like adequate. That. And it's but, really unobtrusive and everybody has one. Everybody knows what you're doing. Right. You're not, you're not like the, uh, oh, here comes the director, Mr. Keith, the director, <laughs> you know, no, it's just a guy with his iPhone. Right. Just like everybody else with their iPhones. Right, right, right. Exactly. So. No, and, and, and that's true. I uh, whereas myself, 
I think I look like the village idiot because <laughs> I, because I'm coming with the you know with my Lumix and and with the mic on top and the you know and, and no matter what the occasion, <laughs> I don't care what the occasion. You know what? I'm bringing it and and, and, and I'm proud to bring it. You know, no, I, I, I think that's really I cool. I don't mind. I don't. I, I don't mind bringing. It. I bring it everywhere. Uh, you know, I bring my camera just like I bring my cell phone. You know, yeah, uh, and because why? Because my setup is small enough where I think I can do it. Now, if I had like a you know five D Mark III, or maybe that's a little bit too big. Yeah, you know what? But when you have a Micro Four Thirds kind of rig, you know, you're 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 kind of pushing that envelope of saying, you know, it's just small enough. Ah, I can just bring it with me. <laughs> you know, I th- I think. Uh... I think you're enough of an enthusiast and it's also an opportunity for you to like use this gear and get good stuff. Yes. Um, for me, since I do this all the time for money, you're sick and tired of it. <laughs> I'm not exactly sick of it, but I don't want to be like working at a party right. necessarily. Right. Unless somebody's really asked me to, unless somebody said, you know, we really want to capture this moment, a friend or whatever. Do you mind, you know, bringing some of your better gear so it can look really good, right? professional, good sound. And I'll say, of course. But right. If it's just for me, nah, it's okay. Right. No. <laughs> so that's interesting, isn't it? It's well, like you're you're more high tech than I am at a casual in a casual situation. I I you know I I guess you know maybe you know what and and I think also what dictates too is like you said before this is your profession, right? So yeah. this is so you're so when you're shooting something, you're you are bringing multiple sets of lights you know uh uh you're bringing multiple audio recorders as well as possibly multiple uh uh, video recording devices you you know as a backup you know and 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 because your thought process is that of the professional where hey something could fail i better have something ready to go me (laughs) if it fails oh well you know sorry charlie you didn't you know you didn't get the uh you know the the singing of happy birthday uh you know you'll have to get it from uh somebody else's uh you know iphone who brought it you know uh you know too bad type of thing (laughs) too bad yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, but, but I think it is that training, right? Whereas, you know, where you're always, you know, for the things that you shoot, you take a lot of pride into it. So do I, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, you know, Hey, you know, uh, this is going to look way better than everyone else's smartphone that they're taking <laughs> it on. True. So, true. so, you know, I'm going to make it fairly good, mm-hmm. you know, won't be Scorsese good, but it'll be Louie good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, well, it's kind of interesting because I think we're we're both arguing almost against the main theme we have, which is um, why gear is important. But at least I'm arguing against it. Maybe you're arguing for it. So now let's just switch a little bit. <laughs> so, technology is has I think always been married to art, you mm-hmm. know, no matter what it was. Right. I, mean, I think I think if you go back to the way in the past the probably the first art that we know about was cave painting you know and that came out because of some type of technology i mean it was pretty basic technology which is basically how to how to mix up certain minerals and and substances so you can paint on a wall and it's somewhat permanent yeah but before that technology was invented you know 
artwork like that could not be made and and would not be preserved for thousands of years or you know even longer and and um and so that was you know basic te- technology but still technology and then back in the beginning of filmmaking I mean filmmaking is actually a very relatively a very new art form you know the fact that you can capture motion and, and then preserve it and then play it back and then people get the idea of what's going on as if they were there in the moment is it's it's about 100 years old maybe 130 years old at the at the oldest that's pretty recent yeah and and yet look at how important it is to our existence now you know just just film films from from the early 1900s all the way till you know the the mid the mid 1900s or 1970 it was all film and then video started coming in and the 40s uh got very popular starting in the 60s and and up till now uh still a very very new art form and completely based on technology yep yeah did not exist before the technology was invented sure so technology is pretty important to this art form <laughs> yeah uh, yeah and, yeah and to deny it as as part of the art you know for you know not wanting to have this or that you know it, it i think it's pretty tough yeah it, it annoys me a little bit when you know podcasters or people that bloggers or whatever say you know you really should be focusing on the story that's really the important thing anybody can grab a piece of gear learn how to use it and and get pretty pictures or whatever but the story is is of primary importance well that may be true but storytelling is not something that you can convey i don't think in a podcast necessarily right um i mean it's i think that that storytelling is first of all i think it's innate i think that p- people certain people are very good storytellers and then other people are not um some people are more of consuming information and consuming stories and some are good at creating stories so that's one thing and you, i don't think you can teach creativity necessarily especially in a podcast so <laughs> so what what do you have control over well if you have a creative impulse but you can't get it out of your body because you don't know how to do it, then it might as well just be trapped inside you. <laughs> well, I, isn't that why they hire directors of photography? <laughs> Let them worry about that. <laughs> Let them do it. <laughs> Actually, just this is just um, an aside, but have you ever heard of this term called predator? Uh, not in the terms that we're probably <laughs> going to be talking about it. Well, it's it's a it's a conglomeration of two words: uh, producer an editor. And it basically is like the one man band, the person that produces all the stuff and then edits it and produces a finished product. Mm -hmm. And so you're talking about, that's why we hire directors of photography. Well, lots of filmmakers, especially in the smaller, the lower scale now are everything, you know, they're writing, producing, directing, DPing, uh, doing the lights, uh, doing the sound, uh, doing the transportation, catering, <laughs> <laughs> casting, whatever <laughs> they're doing it all. That that that, that is true. That I mean that, that that's the uh, the the true definition of the independent film, isn't it? Right. And I do think that having even if you're not the person doing some of the work, if you have an understanding of what that work involves, I think you will have a lot more. Uh, relationship with the people that are doing the work 
as well as noticing if things are being done wrong or coaching or understanding what they're trying to do so that you feel okay about it instead mm -hmm. of just, yeah, I just trust you, do whatever you think is right, and I'm just going to ignore you. Um, I think there needs to be a little bit of supervision. I mean, everybody's had work done to their house, right? <laughs> By contractor or right. handyman. Exactly. Would you ever just leave them alone? <laughs> Do whatever you want. You, I trust you. you. Yeah. <laughs> Not after what we watch on HGTV <laughs> and how those contractors work. Yeah, I think, and it's because we care. You know, we're not just doing it. Well, we're doing it for the money, but we're also where we also care about the end product. So we really need to to have an understanding of of all the different facets of what's going on, including the technology. Yeah, and and also, just in my opinion, I think you agree. Technology is fun. It is. It you is know, a it, lot of fun. <laughs> no, it it really is because you, you know, it, and you know what's what's really great is that a lot of people in and I know you are included in certain things. We try to go back to the filmmaking of old in many ways, right? Like people mm -hmm. are trying to get that film, that filmic look, right? The, the, you know, the analog, you know, like just like when digital audio came out, mm -hmm. people were striving to, geez, how can this not sound so sterile? Can right. this sound a little bit more, you know, pop and hiss and all this kind of stuff just to give it that warm feel to it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and the advancement of technology allows you i think to to mimic a, a pretty much any type of feel you want in your end product yeah it, it can to a certain degree i think in the filmmaking world i think you'll find that some of the directors of photography still even will go after um less clean lenses or lenses that have a certain character you're right 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 i think what's happening though a little bit is that the acquisition, the sensors and everything in the digital camcorders are getting so precise now that they're trying to almost mess up the image a little bit before it gets to the sensor <laughs> so that it's not so clean right? so that it has some character to it. <laughs> you know, can, can that kind of stuff be achieved via post-production type of thing? Uh, or, or does it just look a little too artificial when that's done? I think it can be achieved. In, I think lots of stuff can be achieved in post, but I do think that it requires a certain amount of skill mm -hmm. that, that, and also it's extra time because, you know, it's just one more person and time and paying for that person that needs to be involved in the mm -hmm. process. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think if you have enough time and a skilled enough person, I think almost anything is possible. There's, there's actually even lower end stuff now where they, there are these plugins that actually add film grain into yeah. the, into the product. They actually, I guess they take a video of film grain, <laughs> like they scan film and, right. and I don't know exactly. I think they maybe just scan exposed film that just a little bit exposed to show some grain. Right. And they somehow come and you can combine that with the actual video and make it look more like film. So that's an example of kind of dirtying it up. Right. <laughs> so right. It's too clean. And <laughs> And and there's a whole bunch of processing that you could potentially do to to video to make it look more like film. Yeah. But uh, but it's just time. You know, yeah. sometimes you just want to get it close in camera and then go on. Yeah. And also you have at, at the point of the director of photography stage, they're they're just on set or on, wherever on location and and getting this image into their camera. Well, that's sometimes that's the last chance they have to really control the image. 
because then it gets passed on to whoever is in post-production. Mm-hmm. And unless they're booked throughout the whole process of being involved in, in the look, which in the, is the case of, you know, big films. Yeah. The DP is, is sometimes supervising how it looks throughout the whole process, but sometimes it's not. And so sometimes they want to put their impact on the look at the point where it gets to the editor or post-production. They don't want to just say, here's the cleanest image possible. And, right. You know, we trust you to make it look like the way I envisioned. Right. Or sometimes what they'll do is they'll, they'll spend a lot of time creating what's called a LUT, which is, which stands for lookup table. And, uh, what it is is actually they'll, they'll record, say the image in raw or something that's kind of flat looking and not very pretty looking. Mm-hmm. But when they visually look at it on their monitor on stage or on location, they'll actually run it through this LUT within, which transforms, uh, the kind of flat looking image that's going to be passed on a post-production into this more, uh, cinematic image with more contrast and colors that are emphasized or de-emphasized the way that they wanted to see it in the final product. Was that almost like a template of some sort that they just throw the footage into? Well, they can, it, it can be a pre-made template or it can be something that they've worked on mm-hmm. yeah, uh, way, way beforehand. Like they do tests with the camera and they, and they maybe do some scenes and then they, but they do it with a flat, this flat raw file from the camera and then they run it through the LUT. Uh, but then they adjust the LUT. So oh, I want this, you know, they may start with some LUT that mimics some film stock. Um, and then they run it through that, but then they tweak it a little bit. And then they take that, that file, that, that lookup table file, and they'll pass that on to the post-production people at the end. So the post-production people kind of know what the DP wanted. As, as right, kind of that, kind of that feel that uh, yeah. is, is, it's almost like a guide. It's a guide for the color correction and yeah. contrast and and the basic look yeah. that that the DP wants. So that's that's actually a technique that's used a lot, and it also helps when you're looking at the stuff on set because you can't always tell how good it's going to look if it just looks like this flat, washed out images image, which is what usually what happens when you get a raw um, sensor yeah. output. It doesn't look very good. <laughs> you, you know, let me l- let me ask you this uh, this one thing. Uh, I, I know actually a couple of folks who are uh, you know wedding photographers, videographers, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and they actually rely on rental. Uh, and we touched on that earlier on. Yeah, they rely on rentals, and yeah. uh, you know, and sometimes it's it's just a financial uh, requirement. You know, they they can't go out. And buy a prime for uh, you know a thousand bucks or something right. like that, right? Uh, and so you know, so they need to go and rent this thing for you know for a gig and, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. In, in that in that instance, I don't I I see nothing wrong with that. I think that's a great uh, market, uh, and and I think that it's it's wonderful that there are uh, outlets out there that can allow. Uh, those of us who who do it on, you know, hobby slash semi pro level, to be able to do that, so that we can experiment with something, right? But without actually same, having to invest the money, without having to yeah. actually invest. Now, for me personally, I feel that the rental market is just so that I could try something mm-hmm. with the eventual thought of purchase. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you see that kind of thing? Well, um, honestly, I've, I don't rent a whole lot of stuff. I think I have a few times lights and some, um, if I, if I had a certain situation where I needed mostly lights, um, I, I think 
I've probably lent, rented a lens maybe twice, mm-hmm. you know, a high-end lens. Um, I, I find that that if you're in a situation maybe where you're um, on a narrative shoot, you know, where the script and it's a set shoot for two weeks uh, and then you're done filming, that uh, probably is economically way better than buying something. Um, you might spend, you know, one quarter of the actual cost of the piece of gear. Right. Um, now, the problem, though, is that you have to, if you're not familiar with that piece of equipment, you have to familiarize yourself with it in a very short period of time, which if you're time crunched, uh, you might not get the most out of that piece of gear. Right. You might not get the most out of it. And um, and then, uh, so you spend a lot, a lot of time, you know, trying to figure out how to use it. Uh, to its fullest, and you probably still won't be able to use it to its fullest because you just can't know how to use, especially camcorders, because they can be pretty complicated. Right. Um, lenses sometimes are simpler. I, I think what I like to do is I really like to learn about the gear that I that I buy. Like I learned, like to learn all about it and become very intimate with it so that I can get the best out of it. Yeah. And I haven't found that it's cost effective for me to do that with a with a rental. Yeah. Um, maybe it's just because I'm not organized enough to set aside two days with the rental to learn all about it and not do anything else. I'm just, there's too much stuff going on. So I guess I'd rather buy something and have months to really learn how to use it. Yeah. And, and, and before I even use it on a professional shoot or whatever, just test, be able to test it out many, many times so that I really know what its capabilities are and then put it into service. And I don't think that that would work for me. Uh, in my situation, if I was doing narrative stuff where I had a set pieces and just needed a bunch of gear, or maybe if I had a version, like if I had a camera that I really liked and, but I needed a B or a C camera for different angles, maybe I'd rent those because I yeah. know how to set those up. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. I haven't yet been in that situation, but I can see that happening. Um, I, 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 and I think that's an excellent point because like, uh, you, you know, I think that, uh, uh, with some of these friends who do, who I know do rent equipment, they they use them as you know B C uh, uh, cameras that will be stationary, getting a wide shot, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Leave it, you know, leave it and go type yeah. of thing. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I'm I'm more with you. I I would rather kind of uh, uh, use the internet read reviews, read, you know, uh, other thoughts about the product that I'm thinking about, uh, needing, and then making my evaluation through, you know, other people's trial and error. I don't know. There's just something about when you own something, you're kind of invested in it and yeah. you kind of, you're kind of obligated to learn as much as you can about it and get the most out of it. Yeah. Like squeeze as much as you can out of it. Um, also, it doesn't necessarily have to be more or less expensive than renting. In fact, it's probably less expensive than renting depending on how long you really need the piece of gear. Yeah. Right. Um, because rentals cannot, I mean, they can be pretty expensive. Actually, They can, they, they can be. I mean, the only thing that, you know, in, in my head, rentals make sense when it comes to lenses. Yeah. I think for getting that, the really high end lens, prime lenses, yeah, possibly. It, uh, and, and I mention that only because, you know, some people will rent these like, you know, 
500 millimeter lenses or something like that who you know not a lot of people are going to invest money into something like that yeah it has very limited use maybe they're doing a shoot where they need to get some wildlife there you go on a trip or something there you go unless they are that type of artist where they're where they need that type of thing you know maybe that's not you know that's more of a luxury type of thing and uh, and you know maybe rental on something like that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, I think you're right. Or like say in a situation you needed a really super high speed camera, right? You know uh, that would be you wouldn't use it all the time, but maybe for one shot in in you know say you were doing a documentary on I don't know high sp- uh, like hummingbirds or something. Right, right, <laughs> and right. You, and you needed to capture. You didn't want to buy a camera just for that, but but you wanted to go to some hummingbird aviary for some weekend, and so you would rent a Phantom or something for yes. for five hundred dollars or thousand dollars or whatever it would cost that weekend. Yeah, that would that would be a way. And then that would be put in your budget, and that would be a great way to go. Hey, you know how about how about an example that you had one of those? Um, you did that uh, Brisbane soapbox derby. Oh, right. Video, uh-huh. you know, yep. and you used a, it, it was either a, uh, 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 a telephone, uh, repair crane <laughs> or a cherry picker or, or a yeah. jib, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, that's not something that one would ordinarily have parked in their garage. Yeah. I don't think I would just buy a crane just <laughs> to have it around in case <laughs> I needed it. Just it wouldn't get... fit besides it wouldn't fit in my garage. Right. So exactly. I think if you buy a piece of gear it's got to fit in your where you live. Don't you think? I that's that's my thought. <laughs> I think that's a good standard. That's, that's if it doesn't thought. fit where I live. That's right. <laughs> if it's bigger than my house, I don't think I'm going to buy it. That's, that's not the right move. <laughs> that ROI is not going to be fantastic. <laughs> So what did you use? Well, I mean, what what was you know what what, what, what was that a rental thing? Or? Yeah, it was a rental. I think it went for like two hundred a weekend or maybe less. Yeah, I've, actually, I think that particular one was donated by the company just for the PR. But um, yeah, they're not. Luckily, those like gear like that is not that expensive to rent. <laughs> right, but 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 that's where something like that is 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 worth it, right? Oh to, yeah, to, to that's rent a perfect. Like that. Yeah, that's yeah. a perfect example. You know, renting a cherry picker for a a, a nice gigantic jib shot for, is, for a 30 second jib shot that's fantastic <laughs> the trade-off is amazing <laughs> it's great and you get a fun amusement park like like ride so. <laughs> because you're too busy looking through the lens you forget to strap on the safety harness <laughs> yeah that's great no that would be a great example of it yeah. some other examples um let me think lights for sure you know sometimes you'll you'll like a few times i've done um lighting for concerts for musical acts mm-hmm. that didn't necessarily have lights of their own. So yeah, so I'd go to uh places to rent the lights and the gels and the stuff that goes with it, the trees they go up on. Right. Right. Because you right. just don't you just don't necessarily have those gigantic par lights in your in your garage, you know. That's and you something. and you really wouldn't want to invest on on something like that that would really not be used all that often. Correct. I mean that's yeah. that's just the thing. See and, and and there's the difference there, right? Cameras, that's something you will be using. Yes. You know, the body of a camera, that's what you're going to be using. You know, that's yeah. probably a good investment right there. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think um you know things maybe like a like a really high-end steady cam, you know the the multi-thousand dollar ones. Yeah. 
maybe that's something, another thing you might want to rent. I you would. Might to, yeah. Or you might want to rent that and the person to operate it because they're not that <laughs> easy to operate. But, that, uh, <laughs> that, or you could do my DIY steady cam, which I don't know if I ever shared with you, but I saw, that, that's you know a whole what, different I, thing. I saw, actually, I saw the video you, you sent me. Oh no, uh, that that was the jib. I'm talking about a steady cam. Oh, the steady cam? <laughs> Where I used I used three metal copper pipes <laughs> that were screwed together with a five no, with a ten pound weight at the bottom. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that was, uh anyway, that was my that was my DIY steady cam. Uh everyone look out look up Mr. Lee's DIY steady cam and you'll find out what I made. I made the exact same thing, but Okay. And uh, did you rent that or did you? I, I, I actually made that, but I probably okay. should have rented the steady cam instead. <laughs> <laughs> that that one's a definite rental. You should rent you should rent a real steady cam if you need something uh good. So um, regarding some of the lenses, so I have rented um, some really nice Canon lenses that might have cost $2,000 to buy um, if you had to buy them. The, the Canon lenses can go, f- to buy them can go from 1000 to I think three or $4,000. Well, right. I think the really big ones are maybe even more. So yeah, so I could, so some of those I've rented, but you know what I found is that uh, there's actually some, at least for cinema, there's some pretty good, uh, less expensive prime lenses like for example the rokinon lenses yes um they're actually om- i would say in some cases better than the than the canon primes you know they have a whole series like they have 24 35 uh and and uh an 80 i think i don't think they have a 50 yet uh, and so those lenses are a good complement for a super 35 or a full 35 lens and they're they're full frame lenses and you probably heard of them right Oh, of course. The, the yeah. Rokinons are are, yeah. are are excellent lenses. Um, I, I know that they're. Uh, I I think they're very high end and very highly rated. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you can't get Canon glass, it's uh, you know it's certainly a fantastic uh, uh, alternative that people, it is that people love. Yeah, and I and yeah. one one uh, podcaster or blogger did a test between some of the Leica. Uh, prime lenses, which are really high-end lenses, which, you know, they probably go for $3,000 mm-hmm. and uh, found them to be almost virtually identical yeah. to the Rokinons. Yeah. So, you know, so if you if you shop around and you do your research, maybe you can actually just buy a lens instead of renting it. Right. And you, you have it all the time in your arsenal. You, you know what? I, I, I truly believe that uh, that a photographer, videographer, whatever you want to whichever one you want to be has to have his basic bag ready to go. Right. And, and I think those lenses that you just mentioned uh, are ones that, you know, that, that are going to be used, you know, most often, I think it's the other ones, like we talked about before the, like the 500 millimeter telephoto or something like that. (laughs) Those, you know, you're not exactly going to be using that on, on every single shoot that you, that you go on. No, you'd have to have a bigger vehicle to take it because they're gigantic. <laughs> right, with, with, with the wide load uh, 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 trail truck uh, following you. And, and and here's another thing too, Rodney's like, in the case of those gigantic lenses, yeah, um, they're they're made for full frame cameras. Yeah, 
So those really telephoto ones, they're really big, but yeah. they have to be big because they have to fit on a full frame camera. True. But it, but if you got a cam, even those small prosumer camcorders that have like the 50 time zooms. Okay. Those actually have more telephoto range than those gigantic <laughs> lenses you're talking about, like those four or 500 millimeter lenses. Right. They can actually zoom in closer. But the reason is because the sensor are so much smaller. Yeah. So if you add that up between carrying all this stuff for your full frame right. DSLR right. or just taking a high end camcorder with a really good zoom. Right. And it, I, I, I would go with the little camcorder <laughs> with a really good zoom. <laughs> it's way more portable. It's more versatile. Yeah. Uh, it has steady cam and all this stuff built into it. And, and it gives you good output. What can you it give mean? you good depth of field like uh, um, uh like one of those uh, big huge lenses can give? It can. Um it can because when you zoom that much, the focus plane is very shallow. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it in fact it's it's an issue with the the bigger with the full frame cameras is actually keeping something in focus even when it moves a few inches forward or backward. Mm. Because the sensor's so big and if you're using a a, a large aperture Right. The, sh the depth of field is super, super shallow. So when you, even with a, like a quarter inch sensor, if you're zooming in that far, the depth of field is shallow enough where your subject is totally sharp, but then everything else is blurry, even right. if it's 15 feet back. Right, right. So, right. yeah. So in fact, that's the way that I used to imitate uh, uh, shallow depth of field in the old days when I, when I had the quarter inch, third inch, half inch sensors is I would zoom in. Right. So I get I get farther away and zoom in. That's how I got that effect. You'd have to be out in the parking lot <laughs> and get. And get yeah, it'd have to be farther than normal. Right. But uh, too bad they have to shout so that the microphone will pick up. Later. <laughs> yeah, there's some drawbacks. Right. <laughs> anyway, oh so technology technology is fun. It's absolutely necessary. Yeah. Um, and I do think that. Technology can make getting certain images, certain uh, qualities of an image easier to get. Like like just what we talked about. Yep. So before the the advent of the full frame or Super 35 large sensor camcorders, it was a lot harder to get shallowed up the field. So as you said, I, I had to, as I said, I had to move back and zoom in. Yeah. Well, technology has made it easier for me to get shallowed up the field. Yeah. So right. I'm using it. I'm using it in my art. Sure. So that's an example of how technology can drive the art. I think that uh, the technology can assist in telling that story that you mm -hmm. want to tell. Mm -hmm. uh, it can certainly set the mood of, uh, of the story. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and in there lies the humanity of it all. <laughs> Thank you. <sighs> All right. Well, that was good. Uh, that was excellent. Uh, we will uh, take a quick break and we will come back with more stuff that we've got right here on Tech Move. You know, I think you've come up, Keith, with some pretty neat new way of being able to do some post-production editing uh, 
for tracks that I'm not able to sometimes provide you when you need to do the work. Mm -hmm. And uh, you want to talk about that? Yeah, it's actually a technique that's just used in all kinds of video editing and audio editing, and it works pretty well in most uh, NLEs. And actually, I I edit the audio for TechMove in, in Premiere Pro, even though it's a video editor, it works really well for audio too. And I'm really familiar with all the shortcuts and things like that so I can work really fast in it but um, it, you can do this for video too but a lot of times you'll be working with a, a track of a video track with accompanying audio or just an audio track and and you'll be working with it and be editing it and slicing it up and doing all your edit decisions and things uh, and you'll have an edited track but then maybe later you'll, you'll want to process that whole track um, but you don't necessarily want to process all the little edits because sometimes the levels might change or things might change. And it's also more time consuming to go through, go to each little clip that you've cut up and, and add effects or add processing to it. It's possible, but kind of a lot of trouble. So one thing that I do a lot is I'll do some editing first on an unprocessed track and that'll be like a source material. So for example, um, I'll, I'll take a original audio track that maybe needs some noise reduction and other stuff done to it in another application. And, and one of the applications I use a lot for audio noise reduction is Isotope. Works really well. It's very smart and it figures out noise versus original signal is able to cancel that stuff out. But anyway, um, I'll, I'll edit the track, the, the non-optimized track. And it'll have a certain file name. And then I'll take, but I'll take that track and I'll process it in Isotope. And it'll go through, and it takes a while to process it. Sometimes it takes, you know, two times real time. So for an hour's worth of material, it might take two hours. Um, and and uh, it processes it, and then I'll go into um, into uh, Premiere Pro, and I'll select that original unprocessed uh, clip, and I'll choose Replace Footage, and then I'll choose the process track. And so... Anywhere that I use that old unprocessed file, and it'll substitute the new process file. But uh, because I've done all those edit points, it actually will have all those edits in the right place. You just have to make sure that the the replacement file and the new file have exactly the same length, and so that all the edits will actually work in the same place. You can do that with video footage as well. Sometimes you'll be editing, and then you'll might want to process the whole video, not just the edited version because sometimes things are easier to process the whole thing than in edit. So you can do the same thing and just do replace footage and it uh, will replace it. I, I'll do that sometimes if I want to clean up footage, like um, there's another plugin that I use a lot called Neat Video. A Neat Video is actually another, it's a video noise reduction software and it works really well, but it, unfortunately it takes a really long time. So oh, I'll, I'll bet that takes forever. Yeah. And it, it, it works better on the original track rather than on an edited version because an edited version, the noise profile changes mm. potentially at every edit. And you might be just using a little bit of it or a lot of it. So sometimes I'll actually take the original footage and I will run that through a neat video and have some type of resultant file, video file, and then I will do the replace footage on that. And then wherever it was edited in my, in my sequence, it will, it will uh, substitute that for the process version. So that's my technique, Rod. What do you think? No, I like it. You know, uh, <laughs> it, you know and, and actually for us, it's, it's very handy because uh, there are some times where I can't get a file to Keith for like a day or two. And in order and why, to put this. And why is that, Rod? Well, d- because my, um, my dial-up 
uh, internet connection <laughs> just doesn't like uh, me putting these huge 15 gigabit uh, files, you know, through my phone line. So uh, because of that, you know, you, you're ending. That's why we can only put out 10 episodes a year. That's <laughs> <laughs> uploading. In fact, I'm still uploading episode two. So that's why uh, you haven't heard that yet, folks. Just kidding. Anyway, uh, uh, but it's good that you're able to do some of that work while painstakingly waiting for my file to upload. <laughs> yes. If it wasn't for that, I mean, crying out loud. I mean, you know, who who, who, who knows when we'd get these episodes out? <laughs> so it does come in handy. It does. It does. So anyway, well done. Just another, that's just another little technique among dozens or hundreds of little techniques that can help speed up your workflow right well thank you very much for that little tip i appreciate that and uh, one of these days i will get a faster uh, internet connection uh as long as it doesn't cost me more than ten dollars a month so anyway uh great thank you very much keith uh stay tuned for a lot more here on tech move Hey, Keith, I just wanted to uh, share with you a brand new purchase that I made, a new product purchase that I'd like to give a short little review on and get your opinion about. Sure, that's great. Go uh, for it, Rod. I uh, I just picked up a very fine Optica SteadyVid EX MK2 video stabilizer. So that's like a... A steady cam. This is <laughs> that's so exactly what what, that's exactly what it is. It's a steady cam, and it's a uh, it's a steady cam for pretty much uh, well, the way they advertise it is for cameras up to three pounds. And so for my little GH one, uh, I figured that that would be a perfect thing for it. And I've always wanted a steady cam, and I thought about doing a DIY on it. But uh, wait until I tell you the price of this thing. Uh, so is it like? Three or four hundred or five hundred dollars. Get this: the list price on this thing is a hundred and thirty-five dollars, which mm -hmm. probably at that price I probably would have bought. But as their introductory price, Optica has it right now for sixty-nine ninety-five. That's amazing. That's amazing. Seventy dollars. That, like, that would be like like a screw. On the Steadicam. That'd be the price of a screw, literally. <laughs> That's right. Like one little screw. That's right. It, it, and, and, you know, I was doing a lot of research on maybe making my own and having my brother-in-law uh, fashion another one out of, uh, I don't know, sticks and stones and bales <laughs> of hay. Uh, but uh, when I told him about this and I showed him, you know, the picture of it, uh, he said, you know, probably our materials would be you know, 60 bucks, you might as well just go and get this and, 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 you know, maybe we can, you know, uh, you know, look at it and, and, and you would probably be better off just getting this one right now. So, uh, so how did you hear about this? Well, uh, I had been interested in, in getting a steady cam or, or making one, uh, you know, since doing the the jib project that that I talked to to you about and our fine listeners about a little while ago, 
and I thought this that this uh, Steadicam would be a nice little addition to the uh, arsenal of which I am building. Right. So I so it was just one of those things where I said, uh, hey, you know, the the shots look neat. Uh, and, and you know what, gang, I actually did a DIY of a Steadicam, uh, I would say about, oh, I would say about maybe six or seven months ago, uh, me and my brother-in-law, Arnell, uh, we, we went to the website to look for some DIY projects and, uh, and the Steadicam was there and it was done by a guy who goes by the name of Mr. Lee. And you might see it on on the internet somewhere where he did something like a $15 DIY Steadicam system. And uh, me and my brother-in-law, we decided, hey, you know, let, let, let's, let's try this and see if it works. And what it encompasses is three uh, uh, plumber's metal pipes, a T connector, and a five pound weight <laughs> it's very attractive it's very attractive and 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 people don't know if you're plumbing or taking well, well, of them. or worse yet they, they think i'm gonna purse snatch them by hitting them over the head with this contraption <laughs> you should see this thing it's it's the it's this kind of like t-shaped item with the weight at the bottom and you put your camera on top and you know just because of the sheer weight of uh, on the bottom with that five pound weight your your you know it counterbalances the weight of of the camera and you know in in reality it did kind of work it you know it 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 certainly made it much steadier than than just my other you know handheld uh, uh shots that i was taking and uh it w- but obviously it wasn't the most attractive thing, even though I spent like, I don't know, $5 on black spray paint to make it look at least nicer. <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> coming at me with black spray paint right. pipes. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm surprised they didn't fingerprint me at the cash register, but I'm sure they had me on security surveillance video anyway. But it's that- just one of those DIY guys. Right. Let them through. Right. <laughs> he, he buys all this goofy stuff anyway. <laughs> okay, so uh, so we put that thing together. It worked, but then you know what? I I wanted to. It, I used it at a wedding. Okay. Oh yeah, I good used, choice. I, thank you. <laughs> Very I, romantic setting. I used this thing at the <laughs> wedding, and when I would be running around with the steady cam and the five pound weight at the bottom, people would clear out like I had the plague. <laughs> Because they were, I think they were afraid that the momentum was going to take me and the weight with them. So I said to myself after that, you know, maybe I need a little bit more attractive, professional-looking system other than Mr. Lee's Steadicam. Now, look, hey, all props to my man, Mr. Lee, because it did kind of work. It's just not the prettiest thing in the whole wide world. Okay, so anyway, so then... Uh, here I am. I'm looking for a new system. And Keith, how much are these regular steady cams that you can buy out there? I mean, and there are a lot, right? There are a lot of manufacturers out there. There are a lot. You know, it all started with the original uh, Steadicam Merlin, which I actually got a while back. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> like when they first came out. And uh, so all these are pretty much based on that unit. And they can go, well, the Steadicam Merlin's like like $800, and that's like the Cadillac of the of the steady cams like this, and then I guess they go between two and 
all the way up to eight, right? Right. And, and, and that's pretty much what I was finding. I was finding that I, my, my, the cheapest one I could find was about two fifty. Mm-hmm. You're doing two fifty and three hundred bucks, yeah. And uh, so you know, of course, that was leading me towards the the DIY mode. But then, Optica started to uh, to advertise this thing on their site, and uh, so were you actually? So did you seek out Optica, or did you hear it from another website? Like this is a cool Steadicam, cheap Steadicam device, or how did you actually originally find out about it? I think I went on Google, and then I was doing like a DIY projects Steadicam. Uh-huh. Right, and then uh, and then I went on their on Google's image page, and uh-huh. the Optica actually was on there. So you know, mm-hmm. you so you click on the uh, you know on the picture and you read a little bit more, and this thing pops in, and and it says that you know list price is one thirty five, and this is you know my price is sixty nine ninety five. I said, whoa, hang on, kids, this could be what I've been waiting for. So I looked at it a little bit more. Now, that when I found this, this was back in, I want to say, mid-July. But uh, but then there were, um, on the Optica site, it said that it wasn't going to be available until the end of August. So I said, well, heck, I've been waiting this long. I could wait till the end of August and, and see what happens. So end of August comes around. I keep a note out on this thing, and I, and I keep looking at it. And... Uh, uh, and here comes the end of August and now into like the 1st of September and they still have not updated the, their, their site of which you can purchase. Uh, I would look on like, you know, the B and H's, they didn't have it, the, the Adoramas, they didn't have it. And then, um, and then I finally went on to Amazon and they had it through one of their, you know, resellers, one of their stores. And, uh, so I put in my order and I I just got the thing uh, last week. Cool. So what did you think of it? Uh, well, I, I'm I'm still the jury is still out. Uh, for me, uh, personally on 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 this thing. Uh, here here's the thing: the video on the Optica website is terrific, and that's where I want it to be. And I and I'm pretty sure that it can achieve this. Here's my problem. My problem is this. Uh, I think once I find that perfect balance, it'll be terrific. But to find that balance is very difficult right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like trying to position the camera, you know, are you putting it too far towards the back? Are you too far in front? Which way should the weights uh, swing? Uh, you know, is, you know, how are you supposed to manage it with the, with the gimbal handle, la, 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 this and that. Once I get that down, I think it'll be great, but it's that kind of like getting it there, uh, transition that I'm finding a little bit difficult. And, you know, and look, admittedly, I'm not spending eight hours a day on this thing, trying to figure it out. I've been spending a, a, a couple of minutes here trying to set it up. And it's just not very easy to get that pinpoint uh, uh, calibration that you need in order to get this thing working. Right, right. Yeah, well, I'm looking at, I'm actually looking on Amazon at this site, and I actually just added one to my cart, even though I actually have two professional steady cams. Did, did you really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'll buy it, but I, I added it to remember it that's how i i remember stuff and, well, that's and excellent. sometimes i 
And sometimes I accidentally hit. Well, I actually do have a need to to mangle a steady cam, and I don't want to do it to my Merlin. Right. I just kind of special <laughs> special need. So I think for sixty nine bucks, I mean, just the parts, the little the little brackets and things that come with it, I could just probably take it apart, and it's still worth it. Yeah, um, I think so. It, it it's it's actually uh, a very well made. It, it it it's pretty light. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it comes with extra weights. It it uh, it has one weight uh, on there already, uh, which you can take off. But it comes with an extra two weights. So uh, I'm wondering if maybe that might help me out. But you know, again, it's going to depend. And and uh, I kind of kind of spoke offline with you about this earlier on. The thing that I'm uh, gonna have to try and dial in here is the change that it's going to require when I flip out lenses, right? Because right now, right now I have my pancake lens on there, you know, right. my my little short pancake. But what what happens when I put on my, you know, 150 millimeter on there? Right. That's right. going to throw the whole thing off. And I'm going to have to recalibrate. I'm going to actually have to use like tape or or some sort of marking to 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 really know what's going on but yeah um, it is kind of weird it is although um and i said this to you offline the thing about steady cams is you know people people are pretty enamored with steady cam um it's it just seems like this magical way to get this kind of floaty movement that's um it's actually used quite extensively in the professional filmmaking area on sets you know for for narrative films it's not used so much for documentaries, just because of the reasons that you mentioned. Um, but for a situation, you know, where you don't have, it, it's a lot less work to to hire a Steadicam operator than to lay down rails and tracks. And also, there's some situations where it just won't work. You have to follow people upstairs, and you're, or you're following people down hallways, and you can't show the tracks, right? So right. You have you have to use a Steadicam. Right. Um, so it's they're used a lot in in filmmaking, but. The Steadicam operators are really skilled people. It takes even even operating this little thing takes a lot of skill. Yeah, and and um, and also um, even even on the expensive units, you know, like my I have a Merlin, which is kind of like a kind of like what these and all the others are based on. Sure. And the, oh yeah, yeah. They, they, uh, everything else is kind of like a a if you will a distant second. Right, and and some of the things about the Merlin that make it expensive, besides the fact that they're probably getting a pretty good profit from that, um, is that it's pretty pre- precision made. Right. So the more precise all the stuff is, the easier it is to to balance and then stay in balance. Um, just because the you can adjust the things to a much finer degree, and also you, it's a little bit more repeatable. Because I don't know about this unit, but I have a feeling that you you pretty much have to just loosen something and then kind of position it yourself yep. where you want it. There's not a, a great way of graduating the forward or side to side alignment of things. You're, you're, you're correct on that. You know, all it is is just a tripod, uh, a standard tripod, uh, a wing nut type of thing on the bottom Yeah, that you uh, attach your camera to. And, uh, and that slides around. Forward right. It, all, all it does is go forward. Yeah. So, so, so the thing too, is that a camera, is there a way to, to align it side to side from left to right? There is not. But yes. what but what you can do is you can align the weights, the counterweights side to side. Okay. So see that that in it there is 
is a some, somewhat of a difficulty because uh, what you really want to do is you want to have this, the t- complete inexact center of gravity of the camera right above your handle, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, right. And, and because it can't align left to right, just forward and backward, right. that's probably not going to happen. Um, so you've got a little bit of extra math and physics going on because that's not happening at the top end. Right. Um, and, and also you just can't, even, even just the forward and backward movement is pretty much you loosen it, try it, loosen it, tighten it. Try that's it. right. That's exactly where I'm at. Yeah. And same thing with the weights on the bottom, right? There's, it's just loosen, tighten, try it. Correct. Type of thing. Yeah. And, and, and here's the lame thing too, because I have a GH1, which has the articulating video screen, you know, the, the LCD screen. Right. If I open it, it throws the thing completely off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so even with my, I actually have two. Okay. So I have a, a Merlin steady, steady cam manufactures lots of different units and one of them's called the Merlin. And, uh, I also have a, uh, a glide cam. Um, actually I have two other steady cams and I kind of made a hybrid out of two other steady cams, a glide cam and this other off brand that was really good that had some good features. And I kind of hybridized them and made this big one for my bigger, my more heavy camcorders, you know, goes up to like 15 pounds. Um, but I use the Merlin a lot because it's just easier and smaller to set up. It takes up less space, but uh, I've used the big ones on bigger cameras. But the thing about any of these is that it actually takes a while to balance them, even yeah. with the graduated. So bo- all my units have a way of, you just have a little, uh, a little knurled knob that you keep turning and it moves it, moves the different parts forward or backward or side to side. And you can do that really finely. And, and then once you get it and it's perfectly balanced, uh, that's great. But then the, the minute you change something on the camera weight, right. and that could, that could be like what you said, the LCD panel out, it could even be the angle of the LCD panel. Like it's out, but then you tilt it up or down. Oh, right, right, That right, can right. actually also change the center of gravity. Or even focusing. Yeah. Um, even the internal elements, the glass weighs a certain amount that's inside the lens. And if that moves forward or backward just even a little bit, that also changes the balance. Oh, that's fantastic for yeah. me. Um, adding any kind of, um, or even zooming in and out, you know, if the, especially if the zoom lens uh, is the kind that sticks out forward or backward as it zooms, that obviously changes the balance. You know what would be so funny is that if it went so much as to like, if I recorded five minutes of video or an hour's worth, would the hour's worth throw off my center of gravity? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, a few the, electrons. The bigger the, bigger the file size, the, he, the, the, the more off-center you get. Oh, my gracious. Yeah. I mean, even something as light as a, as a, as a SD card could probably change it. Yeah. So there's, there's so, and it's, so it's really, so really what I do is I have a standard setup that I just, I just use wide. And also this is pretty typical is that you would use a wide angle lens all the time. Right. Because putting a telephoto is just, there's just, it's, it, it's really difficult. Um, it doesn't make sense to do it that way because I would imagine I would imagine that the element of shake with the telephoto lens would I mean not even a steady cam can can help that out. Yeah, it would be rare that you would use a steady cam with a telephoto. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually it's just the widest lens that you can choose, which in your case is that pancake lens, right? And what what's the millimeter on that? Uh, it is a for, for me it's a twenty millimeter, but it, it's on a micro four thirds. So what is that forty? Okay, so it's not that wide. It's a pretty standard width lens. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, like for me, I would I would use a much wider lens on a Steadicam. 
Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. The wider, the wider the lens is, the less any kind of shaker movement actually affects the image. Right. So it seems even steadier than, than it is. Another thing too about Steadicam stuff is it's not perfectly steady. Even the best operators are not perfectly steady. And this is actually kind of a myth because you see all the advertisements where they're moving this, uh, you know, they're kind of like moving it up and down and over and around you right. know, just when they're holding it. And right. it looks like it's just perfectly still. Right. Just as like rocks out of like, right. like magic. Correct. And it's just not that way. If you do that, you will. it will not be steady. Um, and if you're moving, you know, like moving forward or backward and actually walking, like using it, not yeah. just holding it in one place, it's right. going to be moving. It's just that when you do your cuts, um, you know, you cut around all the wobbly stuff that happens at the beginning and the end of the shots. Mm-hmm. And, and also look, look at some, uh, you know, TV shows or movies that are shot with, you, you can tell the steady cam shots. If you look at the horizon, you right. know, if you don't, if you're not looking at the subject matter, like the person or whoever is the, the most important thing in the, in the frame. Right. If you look at the horizon and stuff that's out, you'll see it all wobbling all over the place. It's just that our eyes don't, aren't trained on that. We're not looking for that. They don't so pick even, it up, huh? Well, it. Yeah, you you don't really the average viewer doesn't care. They're right. looking at the person if, and if they're not overly shaky or wobbly then it's not going to matter. Right. But so even those highly skilled steady cam operators that are using a $30,000 rig with a $20,000 camera and also have gone through, you know, literally probably years of training and and wearing the ones with the vest pack and that right, whole with the thing. vest and all that all right. that and they're using a really heavy cameras right. and really heavy rigs so those are inherently more stable they just don't move as much um the, even they are wobbly yeah. so it's just not this perfectly smooth panacea it you you'll get steady movement for a short period of time and then it's and then the wind blows and here's another thing if you ever used in wind rodney yeah It'll just be blowing and rotating all over the place. <laughs> right, There's exactly. no way you're going to be able to keep it steady. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> it's I, like a wind vane. It'll just go whatever direction the wind's blowing. Well, that's really true because with, you know, with, with this steady cam, you know, I tried it and, you know, I'm holding, I, all I'm doing is holding on to the gimbal handle, right? Yeah. And I'm, yeah. and I'm trying to go upstairs and go downstairs and stuff like that. And just in the motion of me turning a corner, my camera was, had spun about 180 degrees yeah and, and yeah. you know you you kind of have to keep your thumb you know on on kind of like this rest that it has but does it have a little place to to steady it with your other hand uh no it does not it's a one one arm operation thing okay, okay. because yeah. that's another issue about any kind of steady cam operation is it's actually a two-handed thing you have your your right hand usually holds the handle, mm-hmm. holds it up, and then the other hand, your left hand, is actually placed very lightly on uh, the pole, the the part of the, that's attached to the camera. You know what's and, so excellent about what your description right there? That's what my fifteen dollar Mister Lee steady cam was based on. <laughs> it was a two handed operation thing. <laughs> With the five pound weight, you know the uh-huh. one that the crowd had just like escaped from when I whenever I walked by, <laughs> but you're you're right that that principle was applied on the Mister Lee Steadicam that I did. Yes, so Mister Lee was correct. He was correct. <laughs> and Aptika, that that's that's not the one. Sorry, you guys. Um, but there it looks like there's a little. So usually in this in this case, so in the Merlin Steadicam, that place to put your left fingers is right above the gimbal, right, really right above the gimbal, like the part that the gimbal goes into. Okay. 
Um, so I'm, look, I'm looking at the picture of the Optica, and I'm just looking at where you would do that. And if you could be able to put your fingers just around that point above where the gimbal thing is, that black bar. Right. Black, and and that's, it, that's exactly where you're supposed to put your – like if you're looking at the guy's hand I'm, right there on the picture. Yep. His thumb would go right at that right at that joint. Right. Okay. But the problem is that the thumb is not enough. You've the because you've got to be able to twist gently twist the camera kind of in the direction you want it to go. It's it's really it's the thing about the Steadicam stuff is it's it's a two handed operation. Yeah. It's, if you're I mean if you're just staying in one place and then maybe for a short period of time moving forward, but if you do any kind of change in direction, you have to gently guide with your left hand. You have to gently move the camera around to where you want it to be, and and also to counteract any type of momentum uh, when you turn, because the camera's going to want to go one way and you're going the other way. So you have to gently right. guide it with one hand, your left hand, to turn in that direction. It's just like this art. Yeah, and I don't think, uh, and and no offense to to the Optica Steady thing that I've got, uh, that's not going to do it. Yeah, that that, that won't. It's 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 a one-handed thing. That that's you know what whatever hand is holding on the gimbal. That's the only one you can do, and you're and you're supposed to use the you know. And and if you read the uh, the description of the thing on the third sentence there, uh, towards the end, it says it's a rubberized camera mount and thumb stabilizer. Hmm. That's that's really what it is. You should look at that video, and you know, once we're done with it, look at that video and see what okay. they do. But uh, you know, who knows? Maybe they brought in the the greatest camera guy ever to use this thing because it does it does look good, and 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 I do have hope that it will that it'll do some sort of job for it. You know, I'm, I, I'm not expecting miracles for seventy bucks. I mean, right? Literally, that's I why said, it's it's like a spare part for a Steadicam. So, the, and, and, and then you could that's use why. this as like the extra weight at the bottom of your real Steadicam <laughs> for sixty nine bucks. Right. Exactly. Just put the whole, just kind of duct tape the whole thing on it, the bottom of it. And you know what? That's what I think you're gonna like if you actually buy this thing. Is that the uh, the weights are, uh-huh. that are there are these um, are these really nice chrome polished chrome counterweights. I'm so, sure I could use that for something. Yeah, and and they're 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 quite attractive looking. So you know, uh, you know, uh, a, a, according to the uh, to the Optica website, they sell these counterweights for like fifteen bucks, and you get like three of them when you when you order this the Steadicam. So, so it's so it's just this bonus. There you go. You get this. You know, a, a few pieces of useless metal, but you get these great weights, right? Of of which you can use them to throw for <laughs> uh, for uh, some sort of damage uh, that you want to yeah. inflict on on not, something. Not, yeah, it's not quite as threatening or damaging as Mister Lee's no. Steadicam, but no, especially when I painted it black, <laughs> because that that's the most threatening with, thing with, that there is with skull and crossbones. That's that's correct, exactly. <laughs> In flames. So Rod Louie, the most dangerous videographer out there in the land. He hit me in the shins with a steady cam. <laughs> but at least the shot was steady. At the wedding. <laughs> he just ruined the wedding. Blood is coming through my wedding dress. <laughs> But but uh, I, you know I like it. It's a it, it's a it's a neat little little thing. If I can get this thing to to go, 
then then I'm going to be very, very happy. So I, I think, like you said, I think it's going to take a lot of practice. It's going to take a lot of uh, uh, trial and error. Uh, but I'm, uh, but I do have, uh, uh, good, um, hopes for this thing. Okay. Well, let me know how you, how you like it. And I may actually try it out and see if I can use it for some spare parts. Excellent. You, you know, actually, I think it would be really good for you for like, you know, some of your smaller cameras. Maybe. Although the Merlin is, is, is actually about the same size as this. So if I was yeah. going to actually use one, I might use the Merlin, but sure. you never know. Cause I, I, I do stuff where I'm in the wilderness a lot and and actually i have this uh, maybe i'll just talk about it now since we're talking about this if maybe we can kind of change direction slightly sure um but so i recently heard about this um new sony camcorder fairly new sony camcorder uh the, the one that i i actually got it to evaluate it's called the cx 760 okay and one of the things that it has is this really amazing gimbal on the lens it's got a built-in lens it's a small Handycam kind of thing. It's only about four and a half inches long, you know, Coke can sized or smaller. And, uh, but it's got this amazing, it's called the BOSS system, the balanced optical steady shot system. And you can see the lens, the actual lens is on, on like a gyroscope or something. And it, and it's, it moves around. Oh, so it floats on its own? It's floating, yeah. The lens is, I mean, it's inside the casing, but you can see the lens moving around. I'm looking at a picture of it, and you're right. It, it, it looks like there's the lens cover, which is like almost standard letterbox, box mat type of thing. But, yeah. the, but the lens inside is kind of off, off kilter, so it must be compensating for a certain tilt. Yeah, it actually, it actually just tries to stay level. Nice. So it's like a it's like a gyro, but it's built in because there are these gyro stabilized uh, cameras that are really expensive, right? Um, and there's gyro stabilized mounts that you put expensive cameras into, and it's all really expensive and gigantic. This is like this little mini version of that, all built in this fairly affordable camcorder. Um, so I was just somebody just said that they was basically going to replace their Steadicam with this camera. Mm -hmm. uh, and I saw some shots where people were using on quadcopters and, and other RC helicopters. Right. And they were just mounting it right onto the helicopter and it was just totally stable. Is like it, it light? A, it's not that light. It's, it's, it's a couple pounds, uh -huh. but it, it like, it wouldn't work on a really lightweight RC helicopter, but on the, the little bit heavier duty ones, it would work. Right. And I saw some amazing aerial stuff with this stuff. Wow. And then I and then I saw some people like going up and down the stairs with it, mm. and it looked like a Steadicam. So I oh, I actually neat. ordered it and got it last week and tried it on a few um, uh, some filming session I was doing with some hiking, and uh, I kind of evaluated it and looked a little bit at the footage and I think there's some problems in it optically, not optically, but the codec it's it's AVCHD, mm -hmm. and sometimes in situations where you have, there's a lot of movement in in nature with with like leaves and things that have a lot of detail, sometimes right. when there's movement you get breakup. Right. I saw a little bit of that, but I, I have. I'm thinking of ways to counteract that, but the smoothness was pretty amazing. Like I was going down some trails and just holding the camera really low and uh -huh. just walking, and it was like a steady cam. Can, can you turn that feature on or off? Yeah, you can. It has it's off, and then there's two different levels of it. Um, the middle level is the op, still has the eyeball thing rolling around for the lens, and then the next step up is is actually adding a uh, electronic component to the steadiness. Where it actually, uh, so the sensor is bigger than HD, and then it'll actually just move the center just like you would do with a 
with a steady cam type post production it actually moves the the available area around the actual area that you're capturing around based on movement so that that's super rock steady like you could you could have it in telephoto mode and have it in that mode and it's like you're on a tripod wow that's pretty nice yeah so it actually uh, for me saves a lot of time because i don't just set up a tripod i can just hold it right and aim it well that there is something to be said about that yeah being built in like that that's pretty good yeah um so you kind of you kind of get what you get you can't change lenses or anything but right. so i i think i've told in some of the previous episodes i talked about um my rig you know yeah and how and how i have that extra um camera the wide angle camera that's always going right um so so, so one of the, the deficiencies is that when i'm moving it's kind of bouncing up and down and uh but it's the wide shot so that's the one i would use for steady cam type movements mm -hmm. but sometimes it's a little bit too bouncy because i'm just not on a stable enough surface to walk steadily sure so uh i'm thinking that that this might be that a replacement for the current small camcorder that i'm using and it'll give me a much more steady shot when i need it so is, is this camera expensive well the one i got was fifteen hundred dollars and wow. so it's not cheap yeah. it's not cheap but um, considering what it can do and what it replaces, uh, and the fact that it could be a kind of an all-purpose camcorder for lots of different things, it might be a, a good good replacement for the current crop of Panasonics that I'm I'm using for that sure. functionality. Sure, it's about the same size, a little bit heavier, but uh, about the same size. Uh, that cover that you see in the picture, that square cover, is actually removable. It doesn't have to have that. Oh, really? Yeah, and then when you take that off, it's just like a normal, really small camcorder. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's just that um, it seems like it's a little bit more susceptible to glare for some reason, that, so that, that shade helps. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, but one of the things that the um, stabilization doesn't really work too well on is um, roll. So it goes up and down and side to side really well. But if you actually roll the camcorder, you know, around the, say, the, the lens is the axis. Right. You know, left or right, around, it actually can't counteract that type of movement because the lens doesn't move in that direction. It just moves up or down or side to side. Oh, okay. So uh, so one of the things I was trying to, and I made a little makeshift version with a, I took a, I took one of the gimbals off of one of my Steadicams and the handle, and all it is is a, a, a roll gimbal. So it stabilizes in that direction. Sure. And then I just did a, a, a bottom mount on that. So I had the camera hanging upside down <laughs> in this mount. Oh, got it. And so it was just hanging. And so gravity was just keeping it low. Sure. And level. Well, theoretically. <laughs> so I tried that on a couple hikes and it, it, it kind of worked not very well, kind of marginally. But I'm thinking maybe this Optica would work. If I can convert that gimbal into just a, a roll gimbal. Yeah. That might work. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. For, for, for 70 bucks, I think it's worth it. And yeah, just, it, just for the parts. Yeah, and uh, for, for me, I think it could work out, again, if I give it enough uh, time and, and effort and, and learning curve and stuff like that. I think it could be very, very good. Yeah, maybe some sometime we can get together and I can, I can I, if I get this, we can work on it together or I can bring my Merlin kind of yeah. see if we can do the same thing. One of the things, too, just to keep you from getting tired while you're balancing it is to try to figure out how to mount that handle. Does the handle have a like a quarter inch mount on it or anything on the bottom? Would you, uh, the handle? Yeah, the very bottom of the handle. Can you put it on something so you don't have to hold it while you're trying to balance it? Yes, it looks like you can. Okay, it, so, it, it's just a hollowed out handle, though. 
Oh, okay. So you could probably get a stick or something. And then what yes. I did was I actually got an aluminum, when I'm doing my Merlin, they they sell like $200 balancing, you know, special balancing right. stand for it. But I just made my own out of a piece of metal. And I just stuck it up the middle that has that hollowed out hole. Right. And then I mounted that to a tripod. Oh, that's, pretty, probably, oh, that's pretty neat. So you can run and gun with it if you need to. <clears throat> well, what I actually, mostly what I use it for is just for for putting it on something so that I can balance it. So that I don't have to hold it while I'm balancing it, which is really tiring after a while. Right. So right. I put it on this tripod and then I have it sticking out so that so the weights clear it. And then I can do all my adjustments to get it perfect. Oh that's well, I, oh that's a good that's a good thing. Yeah, so that's important yeah. to have. Yeah, yeah. And then, <clears throat> so and you can mess around with the camera, especially in my instance, because I will have to mess around with it to just get it right. Yeah, yeah. And so that's that's definitely a technique is to mount it on something and have it Another technique is to put it on the edge of a table or something where it can just is the is the bottom really flat like could it would it just rest on something flat? Um no it would not. Oh okay. So you'll have to no. figure out some way to stick it on something that'll hold it stable and Yeah, still I think I think the stick thing is probably the best thing. Yeah. So um well, we'll, we'll we should get together and we can yeah. play with it sometime. We will, we will we will discuss that more. So we'll give you a little bit more uh, information on how this stuff goes. So uh, that's our quick little, uh, well, not really all that quick, but our little <laughs> discussion on the op uh, Optica Steady Vid EX video stabilizer system and Keith's new Sony CX760. We'll uh, provide links to those uh, in the show notes so that you can take a look at what we are talking about. And um, we will come back with more, with more, more, more information right here on Tech Move. Popular demand. We have a uh, one of our most requested, one of our most desired segments right now, and we haven't done it in a couple of episodes lately. Uh, but we want to do that for you right now, and that is the "Put Me in a Coma" segment, where Keith does exactly that with the subject matter at hand. And uh, Keith, what do you think we should be talking about today? Hello, Rodney. He's How? beginning with a bang. <laughs> I decided that uh, the way that I was presenting the last coma segments yes. were way too animated. So I decided to take the energy level down a little <laughs> bit, just a couple notches. They'll do wonders for our Facebook uh, uh, statistics. Really? <laughs> how, do, how do you think that's going to work? It's going to help us help well, people I, I, put I people mean, in a coma. I mean, I, I'm already halfway there, and you haven't even <laughs> even told me the subject yet. Well, uh, actually, this is something that I I've, I've been investigating a little bit because I'm I'm uh, actually doing a little project with some old DV tapes ah, recorded yes. on a. This is back before HDV, really. Yes. Even. This is like, even, are you talking about like high eight, eight millimeter type of tapes or uh, even older is, than that? 
Uh, no, this is a and the the beginning of the DV tape age where everything was sixty frames interlaced. Ah, uh, okay, okay. And uh, that DVX had not come out yet. I think the DVX one hundred came out in like two thousand two or something or two thousand three. So these are actually from even before that, but they're still digital. But right, they're it's all, still digital. But yeah. it's. Uh, I I think what we want to talk about today is the difference between interlace. And de-interlaced, is that correct? Yeah, what we're going to talk about interlaced footage and video and what it is and why you want it or don't want it. Usually you don't want it. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, ha- but unfortunately, a lot of times you're, you had, you're dealing with material that is interlaced and you have to do something with it. So I guess I'm going to talk about the concept of what is what, what, why does interlaced footage even exist? Why was it? Why did somebody even think about doing this horrible thing? Right. And then how to get rid of it? <laughs> well, uh, the, 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 this sounds like a barrel full of monkeys. So let's uh, let's get on with this. This, this, this. I've got my smoking jacket on. I've got a, a my pipe, and I've uh, got my house slippers on. I'm ready to go. Let's talk about interlace. And de interlace. You know, the bath drawn. That my, my bubble bath is drawing right now. Let me. You're ready. You have your Salmonex pillow right. on, on your little hang on, stand. I, I have to call my butler. Alfred, Alfred, can you make sure it's not too hot? Anyway, go. Alfred's ready. Right. Wait a second. You're not Batman, are you? I am. <laughs> never told me that you were a batman he's the only butler that i had off the top of my head (laughs) okay interlaced video so interlacing is this concept of where video is actually drawn in two frames like one one single image one frame of a video is drawn in in two passes uh, or presented in two passes and the reason think think about a frame of film I, we can all imagine that progressive footage is is very similar to what film is it's 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 a essentially like a photo a still a still and then a little bit of time later passes and you take another still and then another still and then when you project them all together in a row one after the other it seems like there's motion so but back in the early days of video video came out i think in the 20s and i think by the time the 30s and 40s came out, it was actually a standard. But back then, there were a lot of limitations, like how do you generate a stable signal, and how do you do this and that. And back then, the only stable signals that you could really generate were from the power lines. The power line actually was going at 60 cycles per second. So in order to have your TV synchronized with the video station and all this other stuff, you had they actually had to use the power line as kind of the timer to alternate the s- signals. That were, that were going to be projected inside the TV. So if you if you did it at uh, there just wasn't enough bandwidth to do it at sixty uh, to, to actually uh, broadcast the signal and have it look good sixty times a second, which was the the sixty cycles was the frame rate. Right. So they decided to split it up into two frames of two thirtieth of a second frames, but each frame would be only half the image. So think about it it's like a it's like 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 a zigzag drawing where you draw from the top to the bottom right and you draw draw a line and then you skip a line then draw the next line and you skip a line and draw the next line and you do that uh every 60th of a second so 
so what but but one complete frame one picture so to speak of the analogy analogy to a film it, one frame is actually two separate passes so the the odd the odd uh, the even lines are done first and then the odd lines are done second oh, and then okay. when, you, when, when then when you look at them together it looks like there's movement if you do one after the other and so this just carried forward for decades even to now i mean you could still there's a lot of cameras that still shoot that still have the standard and and broadcast tv even hd tv still has interlaced broadcast it's just the standard that's kind of obsolete but it's just because it's been around so long it it's part of our culture and in in europe when they have they have actually a different power frequency they they go at 50 cycles instead of 60 so instead of it being 50 uh, 60 interlaced it's 50 interlaced <laughs> but it's still interlaced so there's right. problems there um, I, I guess that's why sometimes uh, uh, media like that doesn't translate well, you know, if they bring it over here for us to watch. Yeah, it, it needs conversion. It's kind and, of like the PAL versus the NTSC type of thing. Right, right. Yeah, in the case, actually, in the case of uh, PAL, PAL is, 20, PAL is what you would consider 25p. Like if you took the 50, it's actually 25 frames per second. Mm -hmm. And it's actually really close to 24 frames per second. Um, it takes just six, a little, a little bit of, um, slowing down to get it to 24, like 5% or something, which is not really noticeable when you're looking at it. Right. Um, so actually in the early days, uh, when people wanted to mimic film, they would, they would buy the PAL cameras, the PAL camcorders. Oh, okay. And then they would, uh, reduce the, it, they would just slow down the frames to get it to 24 to do, to do film conversions. So that was like an old technique before. <laughs> Before there was a lot of uh, before they actually had buttons that actually did that for you. <laughs> yeah, before the technology caught up to twenty four p. Yes, but anyway, it's still used a little bit. Um, but anyway, getting back to interlace. So the problem though is that if you actually and you may have seen this, you you get a you get an interlaced video and you play it back on your computer or any kind of progressive. Yep. Uh, and and you see these lines. Yep. You especially get the squiggly movement. lines. Yeah, you get yep. these squiggly lines, and it kind of looks like there's a comb that's kind of dragged across, especially when things there's a lot of movement. Yep, in, um, in fast motion and all this kind of stuff. Right, and and it's just a problem because what really what's happened is in when you've captured, you know, like the first frame, that's the the even ones, and then by the time you capture the second frame, there's been some movement in that in that period of time. It's a pretty small period of time, but still, if you have a fairly fast moving object, you will see movement and you only have information from from movement in one time in one frame and then only information at movement at another time in another frame so it's actually can have the resolution uh if you wanted to turn that back into um like progressive footage mm -hmm. like if you just took like if you just took 60i footage 60 interlaced footage and wanted to convert it to 30 progressive footage you could just combine the two 60i frames and blend them and just blend them together and then create a 30p frame and then only have that going every 30th of a second. Hmm. But what would wind up happening is it would get really kind of blurry because that that movement that's not in one frame but is in another frame would essentially be added to to both frames at that point. And so that must be pretty uh, weird looking at that, like in full motion type of thing. It, it could be. It's kind of like um, when you, sh if you shoot 30 P and you don't 
and you have no shutter on. Like if you have the shutter going at a 30th of a second. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's sometimes necessary if you don't have enough light or something, but, but, but basically it, it's not very good. And the resolution itself can be kind of bad. It can actually lower the vertical resolution by half mm-hmm. as well. So you just, you'd lose a lot of detail because you're essentially taking like a pixel from an odd and even frame and then just merging them together. And that makes things look kind of loss of detail in the vertical resolution. So how many people are there have gone into a coma yet? Well, I know one Hands. over here. <laughs> one one here on the other side of this microphone already has. So anyway, and, and everybody nowadays, they don't want to edit interlaced. They, they really don't want to deal with interlaced projects if they can help it. Right. You know, interlaced is the way to go. Deinterlaced or progressive. We'll just call or it progressive. progressive. Okay. Yeah. Progressive is mm-hmm. the way to go. And progressive mm-hmm. is just one, it's just like film, one one discrete frame after the other. Well, there's, there are t- different computer-related techniques, software-related techniques that will take an interlaced frame and and turn it through magic into a progressive frame. It'll take two of those those 60i frames and turn it into either a 24p frame or a, a 30p frame. And so there's there's a bunch of different software. Actually, a lot of the NLEs out there now do it pretty well on their own. If you just decide, you if you put a interlaced footage into a progressive sequence, they'll just kind of automatically do it. And then there's also some software applications that do it for you. And and what they basically do is they analyze the movement in each of the frames, and they can kind of say, well, was that was that movement uh, intended, or is that just just a static a piece of static? So they if something is not moving then they use both frames and they, and they, and they just say that that thing that's not moving, we're going to just make that the single frame. But the thing that is moving based on the fact that one of the frames has some movement in it, well, we're going to use that frame instead and then interpolate based on that frame. Like we're going to make up data based on that frame that has movement. So, Hmm. yeah. So the result is, is not necessarily bad because things that are moving don't tend to be that sharp anyway. And, 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 that's even in our eyes. You know, when you're looking at something with your eyes, you, you like if you move your hand across your face, it's not it's not really that sharp. There's a kind of a blur going on anyway. So if you are if the things that are uh, moving in a deinterlaced uh, process mm-hmm. are are still uh, a little bit blurry, it's probably okay. It's the stuff that's really still that. If if you lose resolution or if you're blurring that, that really you can really tell that that's going on. So there's an intelligent way for some of these programs to do that. So some of the NLEs do it. I know that Premiere Pro and After Effects does it. They have little just ways of automatically doing it by setting some things. Um, there's also some special apps you can get out there. There's a plugin uh, by Red Giant called Frames, which actually is pretty good at converting 60i to 24p. Actually does that really well. Um, there's also a kind of specialized software by the people that make Twixter. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the ones, ones who that, do that great slow-mo. Um, yeah. And they're kind of using the same technology, but just in the, and it's called fields kit, which is like a super catchy name, but that's what they called it. That's cool. <laughs> fields kit. Yeah. Fields kit. And yeah. And that's a way for them to. Uh, it's it's a plugin that you can use for Final Cut or Premiere, and you can apply it, and it does a pretty good job at deinterlacing, but still keeping the resolution. Yeah. 
So hmm. those are the two I, I'm attempting to use and I'm trying experimenting with them and seeing which one works the best. So then, okay. So you have this old footage. I'm going to guess yeah. that's, it's pretty old footage and stuff yeah, like that. It's like and from 2000. Sure. And, and, yeah. and, and so you're running it through, you notice that it's, it's interlaced and you can tell what, just by watching it, that motion is a little bit honky or something like that. A little weird. Yeah. You can kind of tell because, um, especially you can tell very well on, on anywhere where there's any kind of motion in the frame, if you're moving the camera yeah. and if there's any kind of diagonal lines, you will see the diagonal lines are kind of jaggy, like yeah, way right. more jaggy than they should be. Like like a printer that's uh, that's no good anymore. Yeah, yeah, like it, the ink has run out. <laughs> right, in one one side. So, yeah. and that's basically the interlace. This is the fact that it's only able to present one of the one of the uh, interlaced frames on that particular um, on the on the canvas at that one time. Mm. So that and there's just no data for the other for the other part of that on that frame. And then so, they kind of alternate as you go through the frames. So with, with the old footage that you have, and you notice the diagonal lines and all this uh -huh. kind of stuff, when you're running uh -huh. it through the deinterlacing software that you have, yeah. has, has it been marked better? Is it uh, something that's now usable? Does it, does it really do the trick, or is there still a little bit of processing, processing that's going to be required additionally? Um. Or does it's, it take passes? You know, like I remember back in, you know, the encoding days, you know, it would take a couple passes to get uh, interlacing out of, uh, you know, ripped DVDs and stuff. Right. Well, you know what? I'm I'm doing it right now as we speak. I have a final cut sequence in front of me and I'm using uh, an, an uh, a, uh, effect called Frames, which is part of the uh, Red Giant software kit. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I'm running it through now. I'm just doing a one clip right now. That's an interlaced clip. And I just, it's not a real time effect, unfortunately, but, um, it doesn't take that long. Like I'm doing it. It's, it's like a 10 second clip and I'm doing it as we speak and I'm looking at it and I'm going to look at the original size and it does not look bad. There's definitely no jaggies on the diagonal, and the resolution looks pretty good. And, and it looks uh, considerably better than the original. It looks a lot better. The diagonal lines still have a little bit of artifacting. I have to kind of maybe tune it a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure there's anything that can be done about that or not. Right. But it definitely looks sharper than just uh, what was coming. I think what was coming out of just the using the using the. Uh, kind of built-in stuff no, that's in, good. in Premiere Pro. Yeah. Oh, so that's very good. I'm going to experiment a little bit with that. This is all uh, also eventually when the, when I find the right deinterlacing software, then I'm going to up-res it uh, using some other up-resing software, hmm. which I have to figure out. I'm going to try to up-res it to HD as well. But doesn't uh, it doesn't that just kind of fill in extra pixels or something like that or um, some, sort of, some sort of weird... Uh, uh, it, I don't know, it, some sort of weird fake thing going on there. Yeah, it kind of has to be fake. I mean, you can't really create something from nothing, but right. sometimes you can create something from nothing. And it, could look, and it could look pretty smooth and look smooth it out, train the eye to look at it differently or something. Well, actually, you could just take the image and then blow it up, mm -hmm. and that would just make it 
bigger and blurrier. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't do much. It would be like blowing it up like by setting the YouTube screen to be bigger when right. you looked at it. Yes. It doesn't necessarily look that good. But there's this, this technology called super resolution technology, which is used in a lot of different uh, SD to HD or resolution enhancing software. And super resolution, it's actually a technique that's used really everywhere. And it's a way of creating higher higher resolution video from lower resolution video, as long as there's some movement in the frame. And it what it does is it mathematically looks at the surrounding frames, like the time previously and after. And because those same pixels are in different spots in the frame, in previous frames and after the frames, it can actually reconstruct those pixels in a higher resolution. Oh. And it's called super, and it basically uses time to help enhance the resolution. It's not just blowing them up. Huh. So, but it won't, it wouldn't work, for example, on a still image. It only it requires video for it to work. So it's perfect for video. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, um, so that, that whole concept that we see, like, like in the, in the detective movies where they say, you know, enhance and blow it up. Right. That probably wouldn't work too well on a still image, but it actually might be possible on a video. Uh-huh. <laughs> Huh. Anyway, well, that's pretty. Maybe good. that, yeah, maybe that little last thing woke some people up out of their coma. What do you think? <laughs> you think that was interesting enough? I, I, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> I, I, I like that. Well, that was good. Anyway, so um, I guess that's just a little introduction to inter- what is interlacing and and why you don't necessarily want want it. You want right. to deal with it uh, with a progressive footage, but how do you get it to that point? Yeah. So. Yeah, no, the, I I I think that's very good, and and you know, it, it it's been talked about for years, interlacing and de- uh, deinterlacing. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's been around. That issue has been just around forever, yeah, and uh, and it just seems to be something that might never go away. I mean, in the might- with, with the advancements of of our technology, it still seems to be the one thing that's always around. It, it's so weird because even on these cameras. You know these camcorders, like the default is is interlaced in a lot of cases. You know you you don't know anything. You start shooting, it's interlaced, right? And then this is with you forever. Your memories for decades are right. interlaced, and you've just blown it, right? So just because so you just, did, you, cause you, just because you didn't switch the setting, to, you didn't know how to switch the setting. Right. So I would just suggest if you get a new camcorder and you know nothing. Just the first thing you should do is change it to some progressive mode, and you'll be a lot happier. Hmm. Yeah, that's very good. Well, that's good advice. That uh, that as you, as you can imagine, get the, get the smelling salts. Right, out. as you can imagine, the uh, you, you know we've been bombarded here at Tech Move with uh, uh, emails and uh, picketing outside of our offices saying, where the heck is the coma segment? We need coma. We need coma. Well, kids, you just got a good dose of it right there. That's, uh, I don't know, uh, it doesn't get much better than that. But uh, Keith, thank you very much for um, enlightening us. That was absolutely you fantastic. are entirely welcome. Rodney. All right, as we as we go to our next break before I stumble over myself and hit my head on the edge of this desk, uh, we, we want to wrap this up. Interlace and deinterlace the coma segment, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. And uh, as soon as we get the defibrillators out, we will come back with our next segment, 
right here on Tech Move. Oh boy. <laughs>i hate to tell you this but we've come to the conclusion of another great episode of tech move wow another one is in the can another one in the can which is uh hard to believe but uh you know uh, before we close up shop and we talk about the next episode uh we did have some material that we included in this episode where time has passed a little bit and we want to give an update on some of the things that we've used. And uh, there were a couple things, right, Keith? Yeah. Um, so in the last segments, we talked a little bit about the, um, the steady cam that you, that you got and that I had right. put into my Amazon shopping cart yes. and, and actually did get and try it out. And then uh, we talked about the, uh, the Sony uh, camcorder. Uh, so maybe we could talk first about the uh, little bit of our update about the Optica. Yes. Uh, okay, so I've, I've had a chance to work with the Optica SteadyVid EXMK2 video stabilizer, which is a, which is a nifty little item. I mean, it, it, it's really nice for my GH1 and, and all this kind of thing. But you know what? I got to be honest with you. It's hard to use. It, it it really is. It's hard to use. I mean, like to try and balance the thing. And then especially if you're going to flip out. Uh, different lenses and stuff, and it throws off the balance. It's difficult to use, and to try to actually have a real steady shot and not have the darn camera kind of float away from you. And in other words, you know, you're focusing on a on a subject, yeah, and then it just kind of drifts to, to you know right or left or something like that. Right. Uh, difficult to use. It requires a lot of practice. I still need a lot of practice on it. Uh, but you know, I think for the, what the, the 60, 70 bucks that I paid for it. Uh, I, I, I think that it was still worth it. It's a nice looking unit. Oh, and before, uh, we finish off, uh, there is an update on it. It is now, uh, you can Five buy cents. it. F- <laughs> you can buy it from Optica, uh, for fifty nine ninety five. Right now, which 59. is super 95. cheap, fifty nine ninety five. But for Black Friday, it's five cents. But it, who knows? <laughs> it, it it might be. It might be. So uh, so you know, look, it's going to take a lot of practice. Uh, you know, you got to really figure out where your camera sits best on it. If you got a lot of cameras that you plan on putting on, uh, you know, maybe you might want to invest in a little bit better unit or something because it, it does take a while for it to balance. Uh, and, um, and you know, there was also one other thing, the handle, the gimbal handle it, I think for much more expensive units, you get a much more fluid gimbal handle. And what I mean by that is that you can really, you know, cock your wrist to the left, right, forward, or back with a lot of, you know, I I've seen other people do it with a lot of violence, shall we say, <laughs> and, and it not affect the, the 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 steadiness of the thing if you do it with my little optica steady vid ex mk2 uh you will uh uh throw the shot off completely 
Mm, okay. There's just a little bit more friction than... There's a little bit more friction. I had uh, the great Arnel Delion, my brother-in-law, the great machinist. I did have him try to bore out uh, the, the centerpiece of the gimbal, but he was afraid to bore out so much that the handle might actually fall out of the unit. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, I mean, we made some improvements, but uh, uh, still, you know, uh, can I say you get what you pay for? <laughs> so you know i mean it's a great unit it's 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 a nice little unit uh maybe great's too strong it's a nice little unit for the money it'll work i will use it but it, it is going to take a little practice okay. keith tell me what you thought of the thing you know i told you i put it in my amazon cart right. and i got it and like, after my stellar review you just could take it anymore and you went and bought one yeah well at that point i don't think you'd really used it much so it was, it was a little bit fresh, you know, and, and right. I was kind of excited to see if this thing would would work. And it looked really nice, uh, you know, on the website and everything. And I got it. And uh, so I opened up the package. And the first thing that happens is that one of the weights falls out of the container <laughs> and drops onto my nice wood table and makes a big dent in it. So it, did, it, it just really? Because they, they are very heavy weights. They are <laughs> heavy, very heavy They have really sharp edges. Yes. And uh, apparently the packing, you know, they just kind of, st- you know, throw them in there. But uh, <laughs> but uh, so I took it apart. I looked at it. I tried it, and and uh, you know, luckily all the packing material and everything was right there. I hadn't moved it at all in the ten minutes that I looked it over. <laughs> <laughs> and I just you know logged onto Amazon and used their amazing return service. <laughs> just so easy. <laughs> I also ordered a little you know wood filler for my table. I was on Amazon, and uh, yeah, it went right back. <laughs> well, that's that's so fantastic. I guess, I guess Optica's not going to be a sponsor. Uh, well, for you, maybe for me. I'm a little more gentle about it, but uh, half, half the podcast is sponsored right, right. by Optica. The other is half, half Rod, the sponsored Rod by their Spart competitor. Rod is sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay so, so okay r- really you opened it up i yeah. mean outside the bad feeling from the uh uh from the you know clunking <laughs> of the weight onto your coffee table yeah uh wh- what what wh- did you even put it together and even try it yeah i actually did put it together i looked at all the the machine and actually you know from a machining and quality point of view it's it's about it's good quality it's yeah. not bad yeah it's yeah. it's way better than some of the Indian stuff I've I've gotten and some of the cheaper Chinese stuff. Although I think it's probably still made in China, but right, um, yeah, it's definitely you know it's not it's a good looking unit. It's not they don't cut corners in in the design. Right, it's um, very handsome. Yeah, I, I think, and I'm I guess I'm exaggerating a little bit about it. I think if if you're just gonna use it as the the cheapest steady cam you can possibly get, then it's probably it's like a training steady cam probably. Yep. Yep. Um, but I did find that the gimbal, the fact that you have to, uh, there isn't really a continuous, uh, adjustment for the balance is, is a pretty, pretty big drawback. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of hit and miss when you're trying to balance it. Right. Um, and, and also I, I did notice the thing about what you mentioned, the fact that the gimbal has quite a bit of friction. Yes. So, yes. uh, it, it just, I think because I have you know, several really good ones that the, the, the difference in the two was, was large. And, right. and, and so I wouldn't use it really 
instead of my uh, Merlin because the Merlin's about the same size and performs better. It's also, you know, 10 times as expensive at least. But uh, so, you know, it's out of the, out of reach of some people. But, um, but I was, I was thinking of using it for a particular use. Really the only reason I ordered it was so that I could use it as a simple gimbal for steadying my uh, CX-760, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, But it just, I was trying to figure out a way to use it in that mode, which is basically, I think it's, I think I would have to use it upside down and I couldn't, I couldn't get it to work at all in that mode. Right. So right. I just, I just, I looked at it and I said, am I going to use any part of this for anything, even though it's only yeah. 60 bucks? Right. And I said, nah, I'm not going to, you yeah. know, I, I, yeah. so that's kind of why I returned it. It wasn't well, that bad. Y- y- you know what? Here's a question that I would, that I was wondering because, you know, it's kind of a, you know, it's a very lightweight thing. It's a very, you know, kind of a small thing. You're, you're only really supposed to be using cameras up to about three pounds right. you know, for it. Right. Uh, would you use it like maybe for your GoPro or do you, would you see any usage in something like that type of thing? Um, I think it might be a little bit too late for the GoPro. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I have. I had. I know. I didn't have a chance to put it on there. I think I just put one of my small. I think I put my seven CX seven sixty on it, which is mm-hmm. in that weight range. Right. No, I don't. I, I think there's other slightly higher quality ones. I think there's even a Merlin or Steadicam branded one for the GoPro. That's not. I, it might be a couple hundred dollars, but it's not super. It's not, you know, an eight hundred dollar unit. So right. I probably would get one of that for the GoPro. Um, although, you know, there's a, I think there's a Kickstarter project out for a, one of those, we talked about the movie a while back in one of the early episodes. The movie is a, a electronic servo, uh, Steadicam. Yeah. You know, where, where there's no, uh, weights or momentum involved. It's just all electronic and it uses gyroscopes. There's actually one coming out for a GoPro sized camera. Oh, okay. And I'm really excited about that because it's not that expensive. Like the cheapest movies are, are like five to eight thousand dollars, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they have the the knockoff um, movies that are like a science project. Uh, if you have a lot of extra time and a soldering iron, maybe you'll get it to work. But <laughs> but uh, but this one is actually looks like a really elegant, self-contained kind of like a, just like a handle that the uh, that the GoPro sits on top of, mm-hmm. and that one's in the five. Five hundred, six hundred dollar range. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, that is going to have a lot of use because it's 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 cheap enough where you could actually get some usable Steadicam stuff out of it and not have to carry this gigantic rig. And I, I see that as being really useful, like on trails and 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 travel yeah. and uh, sports type videos where you just need something small. You don't want to be too obtrusive. So that's and also honestly, I think. As 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 those things, more of those things get made and developed and perfected. I think things like that are going to replace even the less expensive uh, steady cans like yours. Yeah, and, and maybe even fall into your price range at some point. So well, let's the, hope so. <laughs> let's hope so because that gimbal thing is driving me crazy. Yeah. So have you actually successfully used it in any any shoots? The the answer is no. Okay. The answer is no, no, because I, I, it, I, it, it's so you, you, on it. It has that little thumb stabilizer thing, right? Where right. You're where you're actually supposed to control the camera via a little thumb imprint 
that's on the base of the of the camera plate uh, that you can, you know, you hold the handle, you use your thumb to control the, you know, where you want the camera to go. Right. In order to do that, I still find it to be a little herky jerky. Mm, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's because be, because you're 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 still trying to keep that thing level with your finger, you know, with your thumb, but yet you're not. And all this kind of stuff. It's 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 difficult to use. Okay. It's difficult to use. Okay. I, I think that I, I think what has to happen is that, you know, when you buy something like this, you think you're gonna be able to run onto like a football field and start <laughs> chasing around like everybody, right? And you're yeah. gonna get this great shot. Yeah. I think that that's uh, that might be a little bit of a high expectation. I think if you're gonna do something like, you know, maybe like trail walking for a very short distance, probably that's probably what what I'm talking about. That's okay. probably what I would use it for. Something okay. like, you know, something like that. Okay. But nothing nothing really super big or, or anything. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it, you know, I think it's more for effect rather than anything else. For the effect of wow, you've got a steady cam? Right. Or- <laughs> whoa. Whoa, you're walking and it's so steady. I think that's all you want to do. You know, it, it, it's like Artika's uh, uh, demo video of the thing of a guy walking upstairs on his two levels story house. That's the demo, right? Yeah. And and I'm falling for it. I'm there saying, "Oh, that's the greatest thing I ever seen. I'm gonna buy one." And then Keith follows me. I'm gonna buy one too. So, so okay. he returned his. <laughs> well, I, I think it does have a use for you know when you want to artificially distress your your furniture. You know, sell it as if it's an antique. Although you must admit that that weight that that damaged your furniture was actually a very nicely made weight. It, it's actually really well machined, and the fact yeah. that they can get they can actually make that for five bucks or whatever they're charging now, yeah, is yeah. amazing. You know, it, it's just. I mean, so if they're selling it for sixty bucks, or is it sixty? Or it's sixty dollars right yeah. now, fifty nine ninety nine. You know, or what are they? What does it actually sorry. cost them to you know to manufacture it? Because right. they got to make a profit. So it's right. it's amazing that they can produce yeah. stuff so cheap. Right. That's scary. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's, it's it's yeah. So yeah. so okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it it was fun while it lasted. I, I I'm keeping mine, so I'll 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 keep uh, informing you of how it goes. Okay. But let's move right now, real quickly, to the great Sony CX760 and right. uh, and your thoughts uh, after having tried it out for a little while. Yeah, well, not not only have I tried it out, but I've actually used it on you know tons of pro shoots since I bought it. You know, we were, I think we recorded that ep- episode a while back. In like, 1950? Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. Before camcorders. Um, right. And uh, so actually, we recorded it so long ago uh, that actually they came out with a new model. They don't even make the CX-760 anymore, mm-hmm. but they do make a CX. They have continued the CX line. Um, I think they're up to the CX-790 now. Oh, wow. But um, similar price range, still about $1,500. Um, now, here's... <clears throat> And the, here's the thing: is I actually had a chance to buy the the pro version of the CX760 when it came out. Uh, it really, it's very, very similar to the CX760. It, but and I and I would have gotten. I think it was maybe two thousand dollars instead of uh, fifteen hundred. But I looked it over and I looked out over the specs and everything. And um, one of the things that was a problem that I saw with it was the the placement and attachment of the built-in microphone. 
on the okay. uh, on the pro model. Okay. And it just stuck out. You couldn't even if you took the hood out off, the microphone was still sticking up there. So it wasn't it was like a cylinder, but then there'd be this, there'd be this protrusion that was on top. And I think it probably improves the sound a little bit because it isolates it a little bit from the body of the camcorder and makes it reach out a little bit more and not being flat on the, mm-hmm. you can face the direction that you want to sound to capture the sound. But in my use, I don't want that extra thing sticking out because right. sometimes I'll just take it and stick it in a, you know, like a cup holder or a, you know, those bottle holders that are in fanny packs. Yes. That's one of my go-to storage units for small camcorders. You know, it just fits, oh, nice. yeah. Yeah, fits right in there. So I'll get a, a dual cup um, uh, unit uh, with the back a fanny pack and one of them has a water bottle and one has a, a camcorder and, and it, you know, that thing with the extra mic wouldn't fit in that situation. You know, I right. want it to be as sleek as possible. So right. uh, unfortunately the uh, 790 has that little bump as well. That the new version of the consumer version of that camcorder. So for me, even, even if I wanted to upgrade to the 790, it probably wouldn't work for me, but that's just a personal idiosyncrasy that I have about, about, that that size of a camcorder mm-hmm. as far as performance goes i am really impressed with the cx760 the it's an avchd camcorder but the video recording quality is the best i've seen on a camcorder and i'm sure that the 790s in that in that same category i use it and i match it up with my ex1 or my other high-end camcorders and it's actually i think it's better than the ex1 quality wise um, and I think it's got even better low light capability than the EX1. Uh, like it can, get, it can still produce a pretty nice image in low light, which is surprising for such a a small camcorder. Uh, and so I'll use it a lot as the wide camera uh, in a lot of my interviews. Uh, and it's got a really great image. It's really sharp, a lot of latitude, and you know it's it it's it's kind of automatic camera. Even though you can manualize all the controls, it's not very quick to to adjust the manual controls. That's the one drawback is there's a little dial on it where you can tell it what you want that parameter to be adjusted. It's a dial. It's a continuous dial that's near the lens. It's kind of small. It's about half an inch in diameter. It works really well. It's very smooth. And you can say, I use it mostly for exposure, but you can tell it to, you can tell the camera to use that instead for focus or shutter speed or lots of other uh, potential controls uh, that part is a little clunky because to sometimes you want to adjust make it adjust to focus instead of exposure right uh and it uh it's it's hard you have to go into the menu system and fiddle with it quite a bit before it, you can get it to change to something else and that's a little clunky hmm. that that's clunkier than the the Panasonic series of similar camcorders like the TM series uh, or whatever the newest version of the Panasonics are. Those you, there's a little button that toggles between the functions of the manual ring. That that's not in the Sony. That's a drawback. <clears throat> but um, image quality wise, and then stabilization wise, that 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 moving eye that I talked about in the review, it yep. it works really well. It stabilizes very very well. Uh, now I did ex- I did actually do a bunch of tests with it where where there's the active stabilization along along with the mechanical stabilization and that makes it rock solid it's it's amazing how well that works it's like a steady cam you so you mean you can use them in conjunction with one another yeah the um the uh 
the BSS, uh, the balance steady shot is the optical one. And, and then you can add on top of that the active, and the active will, it'll zoom in a little bit on the image. So it won't be quite as wide because it's using the edge pixels as buffering for any kind of steadying it needs to do. You know, it'll move the center of the image around based on your positioning. That's basically how uh, software steady cams work. Uh, what I found, and I'm not sure why, but what I found is when in that active mode, it actually kind of makes the um, image quality a little bit worse. It's like, I'm not sure why, but it, it's like it's pixelating it a little bit extra. And if you're a pixel peeper, <laughs> you, right. will no, you will notice it. And if you're doing any kind of grading, you will notice it. So I don't, if I want something to be more than just a, you know, family memory or something like professional, I will take it out of that mode and just, just mm. use the optical stabilization. It's probably too much processing. Yeah. Maybe it's a processing thing because it, it's, um, the sensor is, is larger than HD. So I don't think it's just taking HD and, and scaling it up uh, to make up for the lost pixels, but I still don't know why it's probably as a processor issue, which is, you know, that's always an issue in a camcorder or, or a digital SLR. The processor makes a big difference in um, how much it can do, you know, like how many yeah. frames it can capture per second and yeah. what kind of uh, extra image processing it can do. So yeah, you're probably right. I was uh, just looking at a picture between the uh, the 760 and the 790. Right, and you're and you're absolutely correct. That microphone on the 790 looks like it could break off if you just store it just wrong. Yeah, uh, I mean, it looks like like it's so fragile. I mean, like it's a nice little you know isolation boom mic if you want to call it that, uh, but. Man, I mean, you know, I, I, I see you putting it in some sort of, you know, canister or, or some sort of holster of some sort. And, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe you can take it off, but, uh, you know, that, that thing looks very fragile. Yeah, that is one of those things that I think it would just get caught on everything, you know, yes, as you're I trying agree. to put it in and out of stuff. And I agree. And, and I can see that maybe they had some complaints about the onboard mic being just this kind of recessed thing that's on the top of the camcorder. Right. Maybe it did not capture sound as well as it could. But honestly, I've never had a complaint about the built-in sound on that camcorder. I, I, I actually, I used it on this shoot for some, for some sports uh, just this weekend. And I didn't, you know, it was a really, it was more like a scouting shoot where I didn't bring any gear except for this thing, the right. CX 760. And, it performed great, and even even I was inside this really echoey auditorium with a lot of noise in the background, and I was just interviewing the guy. I didn't expect the sound to come out well, and it came out really well, which is that built-in uh, flat mic. Uh, that's that's really good. Yeah, so I'm not quite sure why they why they changed it. I, I think you, it, you know I'm wondering. I you know I'm wondering. Uh, when it comes to these kind of quick shoot type of things that you do, obviously you're bringing as little gear as you can. But if this were something that you were really getting prepped for, you wouldn't use onboard mics, would you? Uh, no, I just use the onboard mic as a reference for the better recording that I'm getting. Sometimes right. it's a recording that's a, a, a recorder that's on the person. Right. Uh, or sometimes it's just a really uh, high quality boom mic or a higher quality mic that's positioned in the right spot. Um, yeah. But I just, I need to have that uh, built-in sound as a reference so that I can sync the cameras all together. Right. Yeah. So and right, and yeah. it's good for backup too, frankly. 
Yeah, it is good for backup. I think we talked about that in a previous episode. Yep. Sometimes your main mic, there's a problem. So yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And exactly. I've, I've used the CX seven sixties mic uh, to save me in a couple times, and a couple times, and that worked out great. Mm-hmm. By the way, I want to apologize for my voice. Uh, hope people as aren't. you should. <laughs> it's very distracting. I have a but little. Nonetheless, yeah, it's okay. It's hard to be on radio when your voice is like this, but we're just... You know, that's the tech of tech mode, isn't it? Where, uh, you know, we, we sound great, but it also picks up every frog, every uh, illness that we pick up, and uh, that's that's what's fantastic about the tech of tech mode. So. Uh, okay, this well, the, f- the phlegm of tech move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, very good. Uh, okay, well, that's the that's the CX seven sixty, and uh, Keith's updated that. Uh, I'm sure there'll be more shoots uh, with that camera, and we can talk about that more. But uh, you know what? Uh, like we had started out this segment by saying, uh, getting ready to say our goodbyes. I think we actually have to say goodbye now, Keith. So, uh, Keith, I want to thank you very much for another fantastic episode. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit before we go. I want to talk a little bit what? about. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more. I'm going to force people to hit listen to me a little bit more. <laughs> oh, let's hold them hostage more, please. Okay. Um, actually, I could do my Barry White thing for a while, but uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, actually, I want to talk a little bit about the next episode, which is episode 15. Yes, um, of course. So I was going to lead into that. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were just going to close it. <laughs> oh, no, gonna... <laughs> no, no, no. I'm a professional. <laughs> sorry. I'm a professional. Okay, well, I'm just going to shut up. You go ahead. Do what you're going to do. Well, now in our next episode. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. This is great. This is what This is what I love about the Tech Move podcast is so fantastic okay uh in in our next episode uh we have our very very first guest coming in for an interview and unfortunately i wasn't able to join but keith has conducted a fantastic interview with a terrific artist and uh keith why i'll give you the honor of uh telling us who this person is and his credential because it's quite impressive. Well, when I thought about um, this theme that we have, we have this um, segment that we had part one in this episode and then in, we're going to have part two in, in the next episode. It's called Technology versus Humanity. And uh, for a while, I've, I've been uh, wanting to interview and talk to, to this director uh, and cinematographer named Jason Wingrove. And he's actually from Australia. And he's really into gear. He's a great uh, director, has a great eye, and has had an interesting career. And um, and so I just uh, tweeted him a little while back saying, hey, would you like to to be our first interview for Tech Move? And he said, sure. He said, okie dokie. So, uh, <laughs> right. So we did get that email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he, uh, he uh, we, we, it took a couple of days to kind of, get synced up and one day says, I'm ready. You ready to go? And I said, yeah. So, uh, we did this great interview. It's like an hour long and, uh, it's going to be in our next episode. And we talk a lot about him and his tech and what he does, which is really fascinating. And we talk a lot about the gear, which is really fascinating. It's very technical. Um, 
He's got a great sense of humor, so uh, it, that'll be fun. And uh, we talk a little bit about that theme, technology versus humanity. So it was it's a really fun first interview for Tech Move. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jason Wingrove is from uh, Australia? Yes, we actually did the call. He was in Australia, uh, and and we did the we did the interview over Skype live. Good because I'm not sending you to Australia <laughs> for any kind of interview. It's not in our budget. No, it's not in our budget. <laughs> not yet, anyway. <laughs> not yet. I mean, even coming over to my house is not in our budget, frankly. <laughs> even if I take Bart, <laughs> right? Even if you take Bart, at least you'll save on the tolls. <laughs> right, but I, I think Jason is in Australia, and yeah. so uh, uh, kudos to you for being able to coordinate the time just right uh, to, to land this uh, very uh, exciting interview. Yeah, it's, it's a great start, and uh, I think we'll probably do more with other uh, well-known directors, cinematographers in the future, but it was a great start, and he made it really easy. Great. That's fantastic. Well, we're looking forward to the next episode. And uh, before we go, remember, uh, gang, that you can always uh, catch us on iTunes, where you subscribe to us. Uh, you also catch us on the website, which is www.techmovepodcast.com. And uh, you can also reach us on our Facebook page. And, you know, for the life of me, I can never remember that address. I think it's facebook.com slash techmovepodcast. Is that correct? Yeah, that'll get you there. That'll get. <laughs> oh, and then also please share with us again the ever popular way to help uh, support the podcast. Right, and and it's we're coming up on uh, Black Friday, and so that's the very time. important. It's really important. important, and especially yeah. with our sponsor Amazon. Uh, just go to techmovepodcast.com/slash Amazon. And just go there and then go to their Black Friday specials. They have tons of stuff on camera gear. You know, they have some really great deals on Black Friday. And then I think they also have Cyber Monday deals, which is the next, the following Monday. So yeah, take a, take a, take our link, go to, go to Amazon and, and buy some stuff. Find us on Stitcher. You'll find us at Tech Move Podcast. And uh, that's a great little app to uh, stream the podcast wherever you are. I think that is it. Okay, Keith, we will see you on the next go-around. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to us, and we will check you out again on the next episode of Tech Move. See ya! See ya!